Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session number 32 of season six. It is indeed the penultimate session of season six. We have finished the discussion of the um, the season proper, and we're now in the final post-production phase here, as we're going to be looking at some of uh, this evening. We're going to be looking at some of the art contributions that have been made, um, sort of different suggestions and contributions of things that we can kind of help us to, as we reflect back on the season, think about some of the ways in which those could be visualized. We did a session, of course, earlier in the season where we talked about some of the things that we would we would love to be able to try to visualize, and so we're going to be doing some of that visualization here this evening. Our final session, uh, which will be in a few weeks. Uh, is going to be on the music when uh, we will get to um, what I always look forward to, hear the work of uh, Philip Menzies and his uh, increasing musical team uh, of folks who um, have been working on, uh, of course, uh, the significant challenge of music in this season, as there's quite a lot of it uh, going on there. So um, I'm joined this evening uh, by our writer's room, Nick and Marie. Thanks for being with us here this evening. Um, uh, quick uh, announcements. Our fall moot season is approaching. Um, so we've had uh, Myth Moot just happened uh, a week and a half ago, which was a lot of fun. Nick, you guys did. Um, I wasn't able to be there because I was scheduled for another event that conflicted with it, um, which I saw the schedule. I was like, what? Come on. But anyway, yeah, I couldn't be there. But you guys did episode 13, right? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, yeah. And anybody who had uh, Moot Hub or Moot Cat, is it still Moot, Moot Hub? Hub? Moot Hub, yeah. yeah. Uh, should be able to, to catch that. Uh, I did catch both of the two things that I missed that. <laughs> yes, exactly. They were conflicting. The, the press right, and I, Studios talks yeah, that I, I missed I, for doing some film. Yeah, I couldn't do either the rehearsal or the performance, you know. So, anyway. That was sad. Um, it was the first time I've not been able to be in the performance, you know, for some films. Anyway, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> not not bitter, um, but glad that was. I heard good things about that. That's always fun. Um, our regional moots for the fall. We have five regional moots scheduled this uh, in this fall season, starting September twenty third in Portland, Oregon. Cascade moot. That's the first time we've been to the Pacific Northwest, which I've been hoping to do for a long time. So excited for that. Middle moot. Our oldest regional moot is going to be back for year seven. I think this might be the seventh middle moot um, on October fourteenth in Waterloo, Iowa. Then New England Moot on October 21st here in Derry, New Hampshire, near me. And then Mountain Moot, our second Mountain Moot out in Denver, Colorado on November 4th, followed by our first ever Bayou Moot down in New Orleans on December 2nd. So uh, that's two locations we've never been to before, uh, Portland and New Orleans. So um, going to be a fun fall as we uh, as we move through stuff. So, all right. Um, oh, we get the whole map today, which we probably won't need. But actually, we might. We might want to refer back to it uh, in at some points. Like, I was for instance, tempted to leave it out, but the first topic is when location. we talk about location. So, um, there have been, of course, some seasons in which we've had to do extensive location spotting, um, and this is us trying to figure out, um, you know, what 
kind of landscape we're looking for um, for a lot of the locations, you know, the, the primary locations. But of course, now by season six, we have a lot of the basic areas already sort of pegged. Um, fortunately, our budget is enormous, so we're able to film on location um, really everywhere uh, around the world. Um, you know, we'll have episodes where you know, a handful of scenes are shot on one continent and a handful of other scenes are shot on a different continent. And fortunately, we can just pull that off pretty easily. So it's yeah. actually not the oh, by the way, Brian, uh, Brian's in the chat. Awesome. Oh, um, the it's actually not that expensive to <laughs> shoot on location anymore. Because right. all you have to do is is get a you can either get a drone flyover, which would be, which would be optimal, um, but you could even just take 3D scans of the ground from sa- satellite imagery yeah. and throw that in Unreal, and now you have a full-on background that can go on the volume screen or the Studio Lab screen. Yeah, we can pretty much do that at Studio Lab, actually. Yeah, that's um, um, yeah. There's some really cool technology where they can actually build a dynamic 3D environment from stills now, which is amazing actually uh to be able just to take a whole bunch of stills of a place and then you can render it and walk around in it you can get an app on your phone that can do it for free yeah 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 it's it's pretty cool anyway yeah so it's true it's true but you know since of course at film film we spare no expense um you know anyway one of the places that we were looking for is nivrim Right, so uh, we've done Doriath, we've done Brethel, we've done Nargothrond, you know, we've already, we've done Tulsirian, we've done all of these uh, areas uh, in the past. Um, but Nivrim, so Nivrim, this is the, uh, the, the area on the border of Doriath, like where the letter D is, right, that we talked about, this is where um, Huan meets Luthien, a.k.a. Luthien gets kidnapped by Kelgorm and Kurofin. Uh you know, <laughs> Depending on how you want to look at that moment, right? Um, and uh, so we had a couple different candidates here, right? Yeah, yes. So we want it to be an oak forest, and um, probably the English oak is what Tolkien might have been envisioning, which is right. very common throughout most of Europe. And um, so the two examples are both from England. One is mm-hmm. Sherwood Forest, which is a mixed wood forest that's predominantly oak. And the other is uh, Wispin's Wood, which I believe is in Devonshire. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh, which they're both old growth, but very different in the types of trees based on the environment. So mm-hmm. the Wispin's Wood one, there's a lot of boulders covered in moss. Right. And right. the trees are a little scragglier. Right. Which right. might be nice for an edge of a forest, but might not convey the age the way the giant oaks in Sherwood would. So right. it's kind of a what what would you envision for Yeah, of those the two, edge of I, <laughs> Right. I So I rather like the Sherwood version would be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like this the large oaks would be mm-hmm. would be the number one thing. Also the um now of course again like we're not far from the river, right? So it's not hard to justify like the prominence of boulders either you know like that that yeah would be would fit but again i'm just thinking we're not going to be doing a geographic search you know survey here we're just going to be do we would be doing a scene um with luthien walking through the forest and i think the large oaks like that 
the the boulders it's very striking right it makes the whole thing seem very alien which is kind of fun like i i could see an argument for that but i think um just something that is sort of a simpler kind of forest look um would be would be would be sort of better and i actually i kind of like the idea of the edge of the forest of doriath looking very st- like huge old growth oaks that just stop um okay s- seems to me like that would actually kind of work pretty well to kind of especially since now as we've said like the, exactly where the boundaries of the girdle are is not perfectly clear but Doriath is by definition like the whole concept of Doriath is basically the boundaries. Boundaries are important, right? And so having a forest with stark boundaries is something that kind of visually conveys that element sure. without having to say anything, right? So that's that's kind of what I like about the idea of you're walking through, you know, Sherwood Oaks until you come out, you know, into a field, you know, on the other side of them. Um that would uh that i think would would convey something something important sort of silently there but okay yeah so i'd go for sherwood especially since also as you say the um to especially to people who don't know anything about it um like me for instance the big huge oaks would much more readily and unthinkingly convey the antiquity of the forest um Especially as somebody who's, you know, used to New England forests, which are all young, because New England was almost completely clear-cut by farmers in the, in the 18th century. Um, uh, you know, it, smaller trees like that would immediately, in my mind, visually, I would visually associate it with a younger forest. Um, so, again, just thinking of the, the, the nonverbal cues we're giving to people, I think Sherwood would be clearer in that way. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, the door of morning. All right. So we have several sketches to convey concepts here, right? Yep. Glad we brought this up because I was thinking about talking about this, but there wasn't time because there's too much other stuff to talk about. So, all right. So we're, we're thinking about the scale. We're thinking about, all right. Um, There's there's even a question of is there a source is it a source of light or is it a like a, a dark hole, right? Right, right. So obviously, what we're trying to convey here is something fairly metaphysical, and mm-hmm. so whatever choices we make visually are going to convey certain ideas about this metaphysical concept. Yes, and that's why you're given some things to comment on if you're like, no, 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 definitely not that. Right. Okay. Um, the the images all involve water because Tolkien did describe the shores of the outer sea in relation to this transition. Right. So we were trying to incorporate that in some way. Um, the image on the uh, bottom left is showing the water going out to the horizon meeting the sky. And right. at that point where they meet somewhere in the distance, you see a flash of light. Right, when the right. souls pass through. So that right. was Dylan's concept, and he was suggesting that the souls could maybe pass over the water or pass under the water and then reemerge to go through the door. Yeah. So it would 
convey the idea of death and passages to the next life and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I um, By the way, just as a side note, I know that, that we're going to be looking at a bunch of things like this. I really love the, the sort of um, like sort of sketches and concepts that we're getting here. Of course, in many cases, we're not getting finished art, right? We're just getting sort of sketches of ideas. But it's really neat to have some, you know, I mean, even though all three, all four of these images are like, you know, sketchy in their own ways, right? Um, They, it's it, it, they all do a really interesting job of kind of conveying a different sort of visual concept, and it really helps mm-hmm. to um, uh, kind of make speculations about that concrete. Um, yeah, okay. Um, you know, it's funny, um, Icon, it's funny you mentioned that um, in the chat here, um, picturing the the Aslan portal from Prince Caspian. Yes, the Aslan makes a door in the air at the end of Prince Caspian was one of the models, right, that comes immediately to my mind as well here. Um, right. So the the door on the top there the top is, one is meant yeah. to look vaguely like it could have been right. from two trees. So that right. one has most in common with, with that um, reference. So, the, uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I say another reference image is from uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. There is eternity, so right. there is a pool of water with a doorway that's a person shape that you can see stars through. So that's the bottom image there. That was suggested by uh, Steve Angelized to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. convey how you would be crossing over from worlds, and. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So, so we were using other media to try to be yeah, like, how do no. people usually show this? Yeah. No, it's, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great question. It's, it's a great way to kind of focus it. All right. So let me back up a step. Um, the beach, right? Mm. How wedded are we to beach concept here? Like sand Not on the edge of water? at all. Not at all? Okay. That's simply because that's a starting point when it's like, oh, you have water, so you have well, the edge of water. <laughs> or unless we don't. The encircling right? seas was kind of, I think, the starting point for that. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, we don't we don't need that. Well, no, I mean, and I'm thinking even of like the Tolkien was um, pretty generous with his use of the word sea. To, yeah. I mean, like Vi, you know the 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 outer seas, right? The outer he he uses that language constantly. Like it's the outer oceans, right? right? And he's right. like, but it's, and then it's air, it's, it's air, right? Exactly. I mean, he'll, he'll he'll then come like much later. I could be talking about the oceans of Vi, and then like four paragraphs later, this is in the Book of Lost Tales. He's like, Vi, of course, is not in fact water, <laughs> right? It's you know, and so it's yeah. I mean, he's. He is constantly using that. So, I mean, I've always assumed that the encircling seas, like on the other side of Valinor, right? When we're talking about the encircling mm-hmm. seas, we're not talking about oceans at all. We're not talking about water, probably at all um, at that point. Right. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean we couldn't represent it that way. I mean, the very fact that Tolkien uses that metaphor so persistently could mean that that is a good way for us to visually we could basically avail ourselves visually of that metaphor um, in order to depict it as if it were not because we're claiming that there's actually water that surrounds 
the world. Um, but just as like, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to go in your, you know, in your, in your naked fea, right. In your spirit to this place, um, that this place would be perceived in some way. I mean, like a, an ocean lapping up on the shore is a perfectly fine kind of metaphor. For, I mean, it's exact. It's the kind of metaphor that Tolkien always used, but it's not right. literal. Like it surely isn't exactly what it would look like. You know, right? So right. we wanted to convey boundaries. Yeah. See the 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 only if you did, uh, did it literally, right? Like that we would be just at the edge of the world and it would just fall off into empty space, right. which having a bunch of people milling around right near there might feel a little uncomfortable. Not to mention having a, like, yeah, having a door into, like it's one thing to have a door in which you look through and where you're looking through is different from what you're seeing around it, right? But to have, like, a wall of nothingness, of black nothingness, with a door somehow in the middle of the black nothingness, it's weird. And not to mention the fact is not real inspiring visually, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, total void, black void to show on screen can be evocative in some ways, right? I'm thinking, for instance, of the use of black void at the end of the never ending story, right? You yes. know, mm -hmm. like, in that's, the beginning, that's a, it is always right. dark. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that's a really good use and, of like that black are, nothingness, right? We are using that here right. in the Halls of Mandos for sure. Right. Um, uh, also, Stranger Things makes use of it. Um, with a, a eleven, whenever eleven is kind of like, um, yeah, 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 the, projecting herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, and I, I'm trying to think. Oh, and the, the it's not black void, but the matrix. The the uh, it's more of a white void there. Right, right, right. But yep. it's still, yep. for all yeah. intents and purposes, it's the same idea. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the question is, yeah, are we trying to lean more towards void with some form of light or darkness in it that is going to be not really a gateway but uh you know maybe a pulsing burst of either again light or darkness or tendrils coming out that you could go through or are we looking to convey an actual portal that someone passes through so therefore we maybe want some distance from the viewer to the portal so you're not like standing right next to it while people are walking through you know so it's right right so here's another issue it seems to me is mm -hmm. that there are two different doors. Now, I don't know that we will necessarily have an occasion to depict the other door. Right. right? Um, the door That night. is the door of night through which not Morgoth for, is going to be. for another few seasons, for sure. Exactly. But but again, like, but we maybe may. maybe not never. Yeah. Maybe not never. And I think it's really important for us to prevent confusion between door number one and door number two. Right. Um, what we certainly don't want anyone to watch this and think is that all of these souls are being thrust out into outer darkness, right? Are, you know, just being pushed off into the void. Um, right. But it's still supposed to be unknown on the other side. Unknown, yes. So yeah, that tension absolutely. of what is through the doorway, we don't want to answer that in any way. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, exactly. Uh, agreed, agreed. Which is why but, I, would, I would kind of prefer to keep this on a beach so that the door of night, if we do portray it, would would be 
on the edge of the world with further just the void of space beyond it. And, and yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. And that's, I don't want to get too derailed into imagining exactly what the door of night should look like. Yeah. I'm just observing that we want to make it, make sure that they're different. Right. Sure. Um, so the number one thing I think is that we want, um, uh, we want to convey that whatever it is on the, and I agree, Marie, we can't like no spoilers, right? We're not going to get a glimpse of the landscape or something. Um, what we want to show is that there is something there that they're not being, but so, and so that could be a con- pure darkness, not pure the, darkness. Exactly. Right. For, okay. for this reason, I think we want to avoid, it's kind of temp. There's, I have to admit that of these four image, like Im- image concepts here, the one I was most immediately drawn to is the bottom middle with the darkness, right? Because mm-hmm. of the contrast, right? To show mm-hmm. really, really clearly, this is a door that goes somewhere else, right? Um, however, what I don't like about I mean, I kind of like the stars, but what I don't like about it is the suggestion that you're going into a void. You're going into, you know, the, okay. like in that case, it looks like you're going to the emptiness of space, right? Which is yeah. not the case. We want to show that there's... So I'm thinking, I think, therefore, light... Not only it being, you know, like a white thing that shows, but like looking as if sunlight is shining through from the other side, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like a quality of light which conveys there's something over there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you are, in fact, going towards something. Now, like walk towards the light just makes it, I mean, I was because it makes it look like the afterlife, which in fairness, it is. Um so maybe that's not a bad thing, in fact. But, um, uh, but yeah, if there were, if there were, I would want to convey something positive, like against something existent on the other side, like to, to convey that it's definitely a place. Um, it's okay. a portal to a place, even if we don't give any glimpse, any real glimpse of it. Um, I would even be willing to go as far as showing like if we're looking at it at an angle we can't see through right we don't get any prospect of what it is but if we're looking at it from an angle and you can see like a little bit of grassy ground or something right like i wouldn't even be opposed to something like that again to indicate it's a country there's it's a place over there um we don't know where we don't know what's there we don't know what happens there but it's a it's not again you're not going into the void Stepping off into emptiness, yeah. That might be too far, but I said I, I'd be willing yeah. to go even that far, perhaps, um, or at least to consider going that far, in order to make sure that we're not conveying the idea that they're just getting sucked into the void. Yeah, I I probably would be happier with the quality of light being like sunlight and bright and good light coming through the portal into the yeah. space that the souls are in, especially if they're in a gray murky misty area having the light of day clearly be through that might tell us what we need to know um i even i I would hesitate to put grassy ground on the other side like i'm like yeah there's something very yeah it's a little too it's a little too clear but it's it's just it would be almost disappointing. Like, oh, yeah. it's just more of the same. Like, I know right. what grass looks like. <laughs> right. Like, and like, yeah, as if you're looking at soils that there might be worms 
tunneling through right on yeah, the other side like, of the mystic portal is a bit of a letdown. I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah. That, but that, that sense of, um, conveying a sense of that, which is on the other side of the portal is like, if anything more real than the, you know, the land where the shades are that they're leaving. Um, especially given how very Homeric we made the land of shades that they're, that they're staying in. Um, uh, that, 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 that sense of passing from the shadow to the reality, um, would be in keeping with the kind of Homeric, uh, uh, conception that we were invoking frequently through the episode. Oh, hang on. I think you're, you're muted. Yeah. Yeah. We would also be kind of telling the audience what we think is there. Right. I mean, right. which I, I mean, I think I know what's through that door, but the, <laughs> right. But, um, right. Like we're right. very clearly and the dialogue makes that clear. Like we, yeah. we don't know what's over there. <laughs> it could be right. anything. Right. Right. Um, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agreed. Um, Evan suggests, why can't the door be closed? It's Luthien who's seeing it. I, I guess, but like, I'm not really thrilled about the idea of a mechanical opening. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, also, uh, we uh, are going to see some souls passing through it, right? So right, it would be so. open while they pass through anyway. But <clears throat> yeah, the concept of it being permanently open and then the souls just pass through, I think feels better to me than something that opens and closes. Right. Especially, yeah, yeah. Especially it's with like what, the Star what, Trek what, doors. You hear the <laughs> every time it opens. <laughs> right. Well, no, because I mean that's an important sort of symbolic statement, right? To say that the doors are sometimes open and sometimes closed, like you're sometimes that welcome means to something. come through the door. It means a lot, really. Yeah. Um, and, it, and what fits with the kind of metaphysical situation that we've discussed there is that it's a constant invitation to the humans yeah. who have, you know, who have died and, and been, you know, uh, I mean, processed. More than just right. an invitation, a, a summons. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. The door is always standing open. Um, and that's another thing that the, the summons uh, element of it is another reason why I think the like radiant light shining through it, like, you know, it's reaching out to you, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not just a passive, it's not just a, you know, like an orifice you that you go through. It's reaching out to you. Right. Yeah. It's not something that you just see on the other side. Yeah. Whatever's there leaks through the door. So every <laughs> once in a while, one of Cthulhu's <clears throat> tentacles just flicks out and grabs someone and pulls them back in. That would say something else. Uh, that would say yeah. something. It would say something. Would Let's say not say thing. that. Let's not say that thing. Yeah. Um, um, so now, but this, so I'm, I'm, I've, I'm, uh, but as far as like what the actual portal looks like, mm -hmm. I haven't gotten too much closer to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, say, which of these questions have you answered? Light. Okay, good. Light. Light. <laughs> We've answered light. And um, I, so by the way, I'm okay with beach, with like quasi metaphorical beach, right? Mm -hmm. But what I think, what I'm imagining visually is instead, like, if you're standing on this quasi-metaphorical beach and you're looking out across the outer sea, <coughs> it shouldn't look like water to the horizon. 
mm-hmm. there shouldn't be a horizon, right? Like, yeah. it, it sh- there should be like this sort of nebulous middle ground where, you know, what seems to be water vanish. Also, no waves. Mm. Very. Yes. It's not an ocean. That is. That's right. That's more or less how yes. I was. So yeah, the the two bottom left images are much more. This is not an ocean. This is yes. still water. Yes. So okay. like still water. That, so that by itself, like if it's a beach that looks like an ocean beach, but the water is still, right? Even more still mm-hmm. than a lake. And so therefore, like the the perfectly still water that kind of like becomes indistinct, you know, into like the darkness, and you're not sure what's out there or if anything is out there. That would seem to me to kind of convey both the concept of, you know, the, the, the surrounding seas and also, you know, but to be doing it within the sort of metaphorical framework that Tolkien persistently used about it. Yeah. So um, if, if we keep the space where the souls are uh, fairly dark, because it's yeah. the edge of the world and all this, and it's, so it's more of like a twilight yeah. place you can't see very far in twilight right. so that you so the water just going beyond your vision you don't see what's out there it's just dark that fits and then the portal itself would be brighter light than any of the surroundings so it would stand out in that way yeah i'm thinking um, i'm thinking that the portal i would lean towards no architecture Okay. That was the other part. Should there be something that the Valar have built around this portal? I think no. I think no. I think it's... I would lean towards something like an arch. Like a... Something which... Something which does not look like it was built by hands. Right? Mm. I mean, this is just... This is, you know... Iluvatar has placed here a portal to this other place. And even the Valar themselves don't really know what's over there necessarily. Right? At least they don't have a clear vision of what's over there. And in order to convey that this is just Iluvatar's intervention, if I mean, that's not to say Iluvatar isn't capable of making a perfectly good post and lintel structure if he wanted to, but... If he did, he would be doing it in a particular architectural style, which would seem to place it within one of the, you know, right. even the even even to make it look like it fits in Valinor would be it would make it a Valinorian door. And it's not a Valinorian door. It's not right. a door that belongs anywhere in that way. So what you're kind of looking for is it to feel a little bit like the um the obelisk in 2001 a space odyssey just less square obviously but um yeah. but something yeah. like like that just is there a thing that's there yeah and even like a like a kind of a two-dimensional shape you know like opening okay. through not like a you know a, a ragged rent in the fabric of time and space mm. right um because it would be i think it would be regular Stable and, and, and appealing. And, yeah, it would be, yeah, yeah it, it would look like it were made oh on boy. purpose. Um, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, but it, what, what, did, really, what did the, the good place door look like? Because, I mean, like, we're, we're, mm. we're describing the 
door in the good place. Um, I don't know that, actually. Basically. Which door? At the very end, the, the door that they're going through into non-existence. Yeah. So, um, so Brian, I hear you about the possibility of it's being a cop-out to avoid giving an architecture, but, like, how could this door possibly be too metaphysical? Like, if there's anything that is metaphysical to the extreme, it's this door, isn't it? I mean, is there anything in Arda that's more purely metaphysical than this door? I can't even think of a candidate for such a thing. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is a purely metaphysical entity in that way. Um, but it is real, Brian. It's like you're yeah. seeing it. It's real. Yeah. It's it just, being metaphysical does not make it not real. No, it doesn't make it. I mean, and it doesn't have to be built with artist stuff like rock or wood or whatever, you know, um, in order for it to be real. Um, okay. The good place actually just has a, um, the, it's, it's actually part of the, the landscape. This is actually closer akin to the, uh, the door in, uh, that Aslan opens up in Prince Caspian. Um, and it looks like there, there's no, it, you can just see the forest that you're standing in behind it. So right. it doesn't, yeah. Okay. So that's right. not right. What I was but even, at all. but see, Brian, again, here's the problem. Even if it's, if it's made of anything, like it's not even just the substance of which it's made that I think is an issue. Um, if it's, if it's got a, um, um, yeah, it's it's exactly speci- like culturally specific artistry that I find myself wanting to resist, essentially, um, or because if it has artistry, um, like if there's a structure of some kind, whatever it's made of, maybe it's made of some alien sub- substance that doesn't look like anything else, but. Um, even if it's made of anything, it's going to be made in a particular style. And that style right, would either be like one of the other styles of the people of Arda, or it will be unlike any of them. And I don't like what either one of those things says. All right. Well, what if it's like a natural arch? I'm not saying we have to make it out of rock, but the shape of a natural arch is the rock just is that way. And it makes an arch because if it weren't that way, it would fall down. Like, like the arch shape is, structural but not built so i mean at the end of the day if we're going to have light shining through it that's all you're Mm going to see i mean it's going to be like an aperture through which light is coming we would have to go a little bit out of our way to erect a structure around the light and make that visible um and i'm just arguing that we don't go out of our way in that way okay but Um, there's but there can still be some kind of aperture it's surrounded by a quantum filament. That is what maintains the structure of the door. Okay. Um, no. Metaphysical, not fake science. Um, same thing. Right. <laughs> same well, thing. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole, like, death passing to another form of life thing. Like, there's, there's probably certain images that 
convey that more than others. But mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I'm also pretty sure you're not saying that you want it to look like a birth canal either. So, no, like, no, yeah. Not so I'm like, that. so yeah, I'm like, so you want it metaphysical, but not too natural and not too built. And I'm like, well, what is it made of then? <laughs> it's not made of anything. Like it would, it, yeah. just just light? an aperture. Yeah, okay. light. I mean, it would certainly look like it was made of light. Okay, so we have to design this as if you're in an architecture class and they're like, don't worry about the building, just design the negative space. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... I I would think that if you looked at it from the side, you would see nothing. You'd just see light emerging. Yeah. I mean, I think it's... I I don't think it has to have any depth. Uh, Okay, Okay. hang on. How about... uh, See if... Yeah, that's going to be... All right. Hang, Hang on. I got a thing. I got a thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, it sounds kind of like this is what you're. Oh wow! That, I didn't even see this actual physical door there when I was looking at the image. That's okay. Right? Yeah. I- imagining the physical door isn't there. Um, right. Yeah, like close to. I mean. Light if coming you, through. A, if you a have machine. a doorway with light coming through, now this is like looks like white indoor light. If it were like sunlight coming through, yeah. um, it would it would have an even it would have an even, an even stronger effect. I think because this is a little bit more of a glow, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, the point is, Nick, the fact that you overlook the door that's standing open next to it, yeah. Is exactly what I'm talking about. Like that's it, all you're going to see is the is the light. You know the open the opening. Right, the opening with light. All right, so an aperture through which light is coming in some shape, probably not rectangular, but, you know, a shape. I think not rectangular. Arch seems, because of the, the, as you say, like the sort of the way in which that's a a natural structure seems, that's what I was picturing, like a, a, yeah, yeah, an arch. So, all right, so that makes sense. And then water that is still going out to a indistinct horizon that you cannot see where the horizon overtakes the water very clearly because it's too dark and misty. Yep. Um, how do the souls approach the door? Do they pass over the water? Do they go through the water? Do they step on stones um, to cross the water? Wait, yeah, like, where is it? Is it on the water or is it not Yeah, on is it so, on the water or is it on the land? I don't think so, it's on the water. Okay. okay, so the water is behind the door. Yes. So again... What we we want to convey that they're leaving the world, but we mm-hmm. don't want it to look like they're going off into the void. Right. Again, this is where I want to differentiate from not just stylistically, but from the gate of night. Right, the gate of mm-hmm. night is like here endeth the world, and beyond is void. Right, that's yeah. not. And I want to make sure we don't convey that here. Okay. Right. Um, so if so. it's if it's like there's the edge of the beach, right? You know, there's there's the beach and there's the water. Mm-hmm. And if the door is like right at the like where the water and me and you can see the water, I would want you to be able to see stuff behind the door, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So again, that it's clear you're you've not come to the edge of all things, and you're passing through into the because again, not only do I want this to not look like they're going out into outer darkness, I equally don't want it to look like Morgoth's going to be pushed through into wherever this is, right? I mean, like it needs yeah. to be a clear, and that one is a boundary, right? The door of night is meant to be. Here is the edge of Arda and beyond is void, right? Okay. And that's just not at all what's happening with this door. 
I mean, again, it's that's cool. So again, we, we still have the opening flap, which I yeah I, yeah, yeah that, no opening I, it's flap. It's hard to find exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, just 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 an aperture through which light I, is coming, you, and if it's you, you know what yeah. I really like about this idea is that it suggests that our three dimensional world is two dimensional compared to what's with on the, the other, other yeah, side of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's kind um, of fun. I think that's really interesting. Um, the so in currently as written, the description is that they're walking into water that's like up to their ankles. Okay. And passing through the door, um, which we don't have to have that. Just, you know, but mm-hmm. I I don't think that really violates what you're. No. No. I, for, again, unless it's... you really want that hard line of of going from the beach to the water to be the crossing of the boundary. No, even that perhaps overdoes it in some ways. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, again, I just, I think but the water important... goes past the door. Is the key water goes thing. past it. The point is, this yeah. is not the boundary of Arda. This is right. an aperture made within Arda. To, this is a, this is a gateway between Arda and this other place. And it's it a wormhole. <laughs> it's a worm. And it doesn't, like, there's a sense in which Illuvatar could have put this anywhere, right? He put it yeah. here for good reasons. Like he's got his good reasons for putting it here, right? Yeah. But he could have opened this door, you know, like by Quivienne if he wanted to. Yeah, it doesn't have right, to be right. in the boundary. Um, I mean, if, if you think about it, this is the door of morning. The other one is the door of night. The other one that I, we're not thinking about, except by contrast, is the door of night, right? So, And those are not on the opposite sides of Arda from each other, as one might think, right? You know, it's, they're, they're like relative, in a sense, they're relatively close to each other, right? Um, which, a little odd in some ways, right? Um, but it's fine. Um, but we still have to convey that concept that there is a sense in which this door is the opposite of the other door, right? You're not going through the boundary into nothingness. You are doing something almost opposite of that. Um, and that's just what I, why I think it's really important that we would conceive this in a way that would prevent any possibility of confusing the two in, in either direction. Either to think this is what's going, you know, this is the void, or that the other one is that Morgoth is, you know, going to, you know. Hang out with the humans. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, to a little reunion with Hurin and (laughs) yeah, yeah, Morwen on the other side. we don't want to convey that. No, we don't want to convey that. All right. I think that's enough stipulation of what you want it to look like that we could come up with better concept art next time. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it's very, very helpful. Like I, I, you know, yeah. all these, all these things are very, very helpful. Um, and of course it's always, it's, I know that, um, you know, like concept art that, um, manages to like, uh, show you exactly what you want things not to look like. Doesn't seem it's, that's not a glamorous <laughs> kind but of concept helpful. art accomplishment, but it's super helpful. Yeah. It's super helpful. Yeah. Um, and, um, there you go, Nick. just turn it into an arch and we're good. Turn into an arch and that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course the other thing, the other, um, reference that we haven't made yet, um, that for some reason that makes me think of even more is the Truman show. You oh, know, right. You know, the, the door at the edge of the horizon. Yes. Um, yes. and, um, you know, there's, and again, in, in a sense, that's more like what I think it's important that we not get. This is one reason why, you know, so Nick, the reason this makes me think of it is 
seeing it, seeing the sort of sky and vague horizon behind that door, I... Oh, hang on. You're you got your sound again. I'm trying to avoid people having to hear me creak my chair. Um, this kind of makes it feel like the sky is being projected onto a wall. Yeah. Which doesn't seem correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, I think, another reason why it made me think of the Truman Show. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So. Um, right. That's what you need to get the water in there to create a sense of distance that would. Yeah. yeah. How how weird would it be to orient the door differently? That is, instead of walking to not be how weird would it be to not be facing west when you pass through the door weird yeah <laughs> so, like the whole idea of you I have know. to go west if you're I human but again like the, the, I know it could be any direction at all it could be any direction at all but not only and, and, and I get it like I, I, I acknowledge that it's weird it's like how weird like because yeah. well, but again, or is it a good weird or bad weird because the, again westward facing on the horizon it looks it's, it still looks like the edge right right which is why like you've mentioned edge. several times about what would it door look like from the side so we would want the camera or the character's point of view to not be facing the door head on but to be coming at this from an angle to see especially it luthien sideways. who's not going right. through it right so luthien right. Exactly. is an onlooker on this thing so having right. her point of view be angular possibly steeply angular right especially since right. she's focused more on the humans going through so she could almost be around the side of it watching like with a door well, on her on her shoulder, the, right, watching the humans come mm-hmm. towards her almost, right? The, the camera will almost certainly at times n- n- not be viewing the door edge, like, straight on. Right, um, right. We will get a sense of, there's no question that we will get a sense of whether or not this door has depth. Has depth, right. And yeah. if it doesn't, then that's fine, but we'll be able to see that. And that camera is going to move, so it's not going to have, it's not going to have, mm-hmm. it's not going to have this effect. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I gotta remirror my thing. I unmirrored <laughs> it because I had text on my background for a minute. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Um... yeah. yeah. That's no. Okay, so we're, are we good with the door? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, Great. Yeah, yay! We'll we got through two slides. Two uh, slides. Uh, 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 I'm moving along. I am so moving along. Hey, now. It, okay. the night is young. It's only a little night nineteen. That is young. But we have a lot more to talk about. I know. I'm going to go through. I'm going to through others quicker. But that was a particularly important, sure. big yeah. issue. So metaphysical questions are difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Katrin did a uh, did a drawing here of Tolsirian. Now the I.O. So here's uh, what Luthien and Huan showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So one of the things, one question that this raises in my mind is how. Did we talk about how we want to convey the difference between Tol Sirion and Tol and Garhoth? A little bit. Um, the idea was that the evil in the basement needs to pervasively creep through the whole building in some way. So there would right. be some indication looking at the structure that it is different. And I know we talked about a few different things. Right. Um, using light using like a layer of grime over everything. <laughs> you know, just right. that the walls would look different. 
with new right. management. Right. Um, yes. So she's kind of like lit it from below. Yeah. A little bit. Right. To kind right. of show that effect. Right. It gives it that vague, you know, like shopping mall in Russia feeling. <laughs> that feeling's a little vague for me. Um, no. But yeah. I... But yeah, it's, so it's... There, there'd be something subtle. Like it still looks like the same building. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's up the lighting a little bit. <laughs> it's not been under new management for so very long. Right. right. There, won't, it, there won't have bad. been architectural alterations. Having right. it being lit from below by like orcish torchlight seems a good move versus it kind of having its almost almost its own light um and only being and and other than that only being lit from above by moonlight uh, at night so and we can do more showing it from night scenes and less day scenes right like we right. can we can play with the time of day so it's like oh it's evil now it's at nighttime <laughs> right right well and and of course it 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 raises the uh, the I mean as 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 Icon here was raising um, the obvious you know parallel is Minas Morgul right mm -hmm. um, as far as both in the sense of stronghold of the good guys now occupied by and corrupted as well as the Within whole the undead, yeah. light welling up from in between. What happens and if you the... put evil green light in? <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So uh, everybody basically knows the, undead is green. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the question becomes then to what extent do like we could kind of lean into the parallel because there's a lot to like about the parallel in some ways, right? I don't know that we need to resist it, but to what extent do we want to resist that parallel and um and in what ways would we, you know, would that resistance be manifested exactly? the the green is probably something to resist mm -hmm. um i'm fine with leaning into fire like whether from torches or other fires um some other way to make the light look sickly and ugly and not what you want mm -hmm. but i think green is a step too far <laughs> so maybe like a sooty red or something maybe yeah isn't purple undead because of uh, Warcraft? Warcraft, um, Brian. Um, the uh, in Lotro, they do a lot of purple flames in yeah. uh, evil places in general, but uh, undead places frequently. So there's a. It's, it's not an unknown association. Um, mm. I think also, of course, of the blue flames in Dracula, mm. uh, which blue flame. Have an indirect. It's not really an undead thing in Dracula, but um, uh, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so okay, but we're definitely looking at primarily illumination rather than architectural changes. Right. Yeah. It right. was a so it should take still very set, much look like yeah. Change the, the lighting, change some yeah. of the decor, but not mm -hmm. the the structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. More cool. bats. More bats. More bats. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's uh that's that's good. That's that, good. that's my um Swedish metal band name. <laughs> <laughs> 
more bats. More bats. With more two bats. A's. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> does, does everybody get to choose a Swedish metal band name? Uh, Brian did earlier. Okay. So. Right. That's good. That's good. All right. Um, what was his? Dorwar? Was that, wasn't that it? Yeah, Dorwar. Yeah. Dorwar. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, all right. So we're getting atmospheric uh, artwork for Angband. Um, mm. The m- mushrooms. I know the mushrooms feature in the uh, plot. In the episode, it's yeah. This one in the in the episode, right? Isn't this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So long ago, I'm like questioning whether it was this season or not. But yes, it was in this season, the mushrooms. Yes, it was episode um, ten of this season. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't even that long ago. Um, okay. Um, all right. Uh, so we've got. So the two things that I find most striking about some of the concepts here, three, three things I find most striking. One is mushrooms. Again, that mm. like that. Um, there's a lot of mushrooms going on here. That is mm. it suggests a prominence of of growth, which again is kind of interesting in the context of the episode um, as to like the uncertainty of the elves as to whether or not that's a good thing, right, or not. Um, there's a way in which mushrooms could sort of visually represent the the kind of growth of evil, right? And the, you know, it's corruption. Yeah, exactly. One of, one of the things that Deriel points out in the episode though, that I think is really, really cool. And, and um, a, a lot of people don't really know this about mushrooms is the fact that they take uh, toxins and poisons and even radiation out of the soil and turn it into food for other plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's used in uh, in the episode as kind of a um, an image as a uh, an image of the resistance right. against Morgoth it, taking this really rotten situation and and it's a it's a picture of of Iluvatar working right there in Angban right. working right. against Morgoth right 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 even though through the very thing that the elves at first think is just an evidence of corruption, right? Flourishing corruption, right? Um, yeah. No, okay. So anyway, so I think I like there being a bunch of mushrooms, but that was, mm. the, you know, for these reasons, but that was interesting. The second thing that I'm interested by is the idea of, like, wooden bridges of that kind. Um, mm. Uh let me come back to that. The third thing that I'm interested in is um, what looks like evidence of ruins here. Yeah, I was looking which at I that. found really striking. Um, I it's not that I think that's impossible by any stretch, right? Mm. Um, that there could be evidence that um, I think it's okay if Angband does not look completely intact. I hadn't thought of that, but that's what's again. Mm. That's what I found so interesting about the, that image. Um, I mean, it is inside a volcano. Well, well not exactly only that it was damaged at least exteriorly during the War of the Powers, yeah. and yeah. it's been rebuilt since then. Right. Yes. And lots of orcs and captives have been living there for hundreds of years now. This is post Sauron management bang band. Right, right. 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 So 
basically the question is the culture of Angband, would it be the type of place where stuff that crumbles and falls apart is just left lying there? Or would they reuse it and recycle it to do something else so it would get all cleaned up and there wouldn't be any evidence of that? So it's more of a culture of Angband question. I um, strongly favor the first, that it's things yeah, left. the wasteful. And the reason is contrast with what we did with Otumno in season one to show the degradation and the decline of Morgoth over time. Mm. Right. So I I've, I've thought we were far enough along that we could have that, but yeah. I was just wanted yeah. to make sure that you're not like, Ang- Angband is at peak efficiency well, right and, now. There's no way they'd have this. <laughs> not necessarily, but yeah. And, yeah. and Atumno is all about this unity of vision right. that it, like, there's no way that anything would ever happen in Utumno that mm-hmm. Morgoth had not put a stamp right. of approval on. Right. Whereas right. here, that's not the case. There's conflict between his between yeah. his lieutenants. There's there's things going on that he has like he doesn't even care enough about yeah. how people are getting around in here. He doesn't care about his infrastructure. That's being done piecemeal by other people. And that um, brings me back to the wooden bridges, which yeah. presumably are, which would manifestly not be part of the original design. And so, therefore, it would suggest I would think that orcs would have had to build them. I mean, or make slaves build them, of course. But anyway, like they would be like a kind of, um, you know, shortcut that's been put into place by the residents out of necessity. Right. Um thus showing that the original design has sort of failed and um, has had to be worked around in various ways. So, yeah, that all that all works. Anyway, fascinating little uh, items from that sketch here. Okay, props. Props. So we're thinking about stuff. All right, so Luthien, Spindle, and Distaff. All right, uh, help, me, help me with this... Uh, Marie, what are we what are we seeing here? Okay, so this is from the scene where Luthien cuts her hair and then um, weaves it into her magic cloak, right? Yeah. So this is all happening in the treehouse, and there's a bunch of steps in that process. We wanted to show some of it to show the magic inherent in Luthien relating to arts of spinning and weaving and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a decision made. Uh, in the magic discussion some time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's been some suggestions on how to show that and what would be different about her process if she's, one, doing this magically and, two, doing this in a treehouse. Right, <laughs> um, right. So some of the uh, images here are some sketches to show what her work would look like. And then um, what Adola has done is create a 3D image of what the... Um, Spindle and distaff look like, so that's what the links are. Is you can click and it you know rotates and you can see the the three D. Like if you're going to three D print something, it shows you that image. Cool. So So, I I have to admit, I know so little about spindles and distaffs that I don't even really know what I'm looking at here. All right. So what you're doing is you're taking fibers, like Like hair. They might be very long hairs, right? Sure. For instance. For instance. And you are spinning them together to make a yarn out right. of, of them essentially right. right and then you're going to use the yarn in the loom to weave it to together weave, right. to make cloth so okay. you have to first turn the hair into thread or yarn and, thread and or yarn. then and that's what the spindles for yeah 
and then okay. the loom is to turn it in, weave it to turn it into cloth. Right. So and we're the not distaff gonna... is involved in the loom. No, no, no. That's with the no. spindle too. Spindle and distaff go together. Spindle. They go together. Yeah, yeah. So if you see in the sketch there, she's sitting on the branch, and she's yeah. holding in her right hand something that she's holding down yeah. a little bit. And then there's a thread that's connecting up to something she's holding in her left hand. Her left it's hand kinda... is the ball that's being... Yeah, it looks like a ball of yarn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the image that's on the bottom left corner should be the distaff, which is what she's holding in that left upper hand where she's weaving, you know, collecting her ball of yarn. So that's what you collect the ball of yarn on. Right. And then okay. the spindle is using... Well, a drop spindle uses gravity to pull down to, as it drops, it spins the threads together to, to make the, the yarn. I, I hope that wasn't too oversimplified. I'm sorry. No, I, I, no, yeah. like, I mean, if anything, it's not simplified enough for me. So, no, I get it. I, oh, I, I, I mean, I don't get it. No, this is great. So, first <laughs> the of all, point like, is she's doing this thing with her. No, hands she's doing the thing. I get it. And oh, look, no, if I can, <laughs> if I can come out of this actually for the first time in my life, understanding what a distaff is, that would be like marvelous. Because that's one of those words that I've read all my life and I have never known what it actually okay. was. So, as you're so. spinning the thread, You've yeah. got to collect it. You don't right. want – so you need to keep tension too. Yeah, right. So that's why you're winding it up on something else. So and you're making a ball of yarn. Winding, winding yeah, so up. the distaff oh. is so you can wind up your ball of yarn and keep your tension in your thread and keep right. it with the way you're trying to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, right. So the fancy bits at the top of the distaff – the mm -hmm. bird and the branches and such in this model. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. What is that like decoratively? So it's the it's the shaft beneath that that she'd be wrapping the thread around. Right. So you want to yeah you want to keep everything contained there and so it's inside that and you want to draw out your your thread. Okay. So you're drawing up yeah. the thread from the spindle and you're winding it around the distaff. Am I doing this right? I don't actually weave, so um, yeah. No, I, I, I've carded wool. That's that's my connection to this. Process. Yeah, I, I've I've but, had indirect connections with. It wool, makes more sense if you just watch wool as well. But yeah, if you just watch a video of someone doing it, it's like, oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, you need to take fluffy bits of stuff with wool and and do it. But you can also obviously do silk. Hair is a little harder, but you know, Luthien's magic, so. So she would have made the, her spindle and distaff out of wood? These would be things she would have already owned and that maybe ah, Dairon is delivering to her in her treehouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah, these right. are As opposed to them has. hoisting a loom up the up, up the tree right. to her. Right, we decided but they could to easily... skip that step. Right. She's using okay. the tree branches for the loom. So that's what you see in the other image there. Right. Yeah. And right. honestly, um, Katrin did do a... Um, a, a storyboard of of parts of the scene, so you can see Lucy in action later. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should not be the person explaining this. <laughs> <laughs> You're so much better qualified than I to explain. Mm, this. Yeah. No, that's not. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. So we do have to have somebody hand her a spindle. Does she explain what she needs a spindle for? Does that? Dairon is feeling too guilty to ask. Right. right. It's more the, can I have my thing? 
and he brings it to her, presuming that she's just gonna, you know, work on. Because she's de- what she's definitely not going to do is weave her hair into Clearly. a magical cloak that's going to cause other people to sleep. That's definitely that? not. Yeah, yeah. Right. I that's that's not on his mind. Um, so it's she requested the item. It's kind of like if someone says, "Hey, can you bring me a book to read in my in- imprisonment?" Yeah, and they're like, sure. "Sure, here's your book." So it's like, "Hey, can you bring me my stuff that I do for my weaving?" Okay, yeah. here, have your yeah. They stuff. don't they don't know that you're gonna hide a rock hammer inside the book. Is, is... Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They don't know that you're planning to use the book as a hammer, basically. Okay, all right, gotcha. <laughs> Gotcha. I think I think I'm I think I'm I think I'm following. Um, I do like the I do like the designs though. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. The one thing that I would say would she if she made leaves at the top would they be b- beach leaves? It would be it, it's a it's a beach sapling that she's modeling it after. Yes. So um, so when... as to thematically convey to the tree what she's talking about the whole you know yeah. yeah. So if you look at an image of a beech sapling, it has the large leaf and then the smaller leaves. So it, that that shape with the large two mm-hmm. leaves on the side is um, indicative of a beech sapling. So, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, nice, love it. I guess I could love have put it. that picture on the page too. I maybe missed that picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, uh, the Naglamir. Okay. Um, So, the choices for the Nauglamir, right? On the one hand, the Nauglamir is the largest concentrated chunk of bling in all of Beleriand. Right. right? More gems placed into the Nauglamir than you'll see in one place anywhere on the continent. So... It has to be a fairly thick and complicated piece. It can't be like a string, right? Yeah. So when it's a neck, even though it's this used, is not a necklace, this no. is a carcanet. It's a carcanet, yeah, right, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, um, notice how I just agreed with that, as if I knew exactly what that means. Um, I kind of know what that means, but I don't know that I would have picked a carcanet out of a lineup successfully. It's like the thing that goes around your a collary style thing thing. yeah 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 yes yeah (laughs) thank you for stooping to my lower levels of uh uh, of understanding um right so a more collary type thing um not a jeweler either (laughs) it's definitely not the expert on any of these topics (laughs) it's just it's it's however the extent to which your knowledge exceeds mine is still very striking. So, um, okay. The, uh, so in Katrin's image on the left here, we have, um, she's thinking more in terms of, this is almost more like the, and again, I don't have the words for this, almost like what you see in like a, um, uh, like a Lord Chancellor's, um, uh, thing like one of those sort of chains of office that goes around oh, like the shoulders yeah. and comes down yeah, yeah. like um mm-hmm. you know like the the sort of thing that cardinal wolsey wore right sure um uh, uh you know with the with the 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 chain of s's right and the the mm-hmm. 
Tudor Rose. Anyway, um, I, that again, I have no vocabulary for this, but like that kind of a big old shoulder necklace kind of thing. That seems to be the kind of thing, though, with multiple strands there that Catherine is sort of suggesting, right? That it's not just a collary thing, but a, uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of larger framework that lies over the whole breast and shoulders. Yes. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure how much of the background of that is part of the necklace or part of the right. robe. Like I, right. um, since it's not my artwork, I don't know if the gold part is gold or if it is, um, right, right, cloth. right. but, but yeah, it does look draped over the, over the chest. Yeah. It, it looks like it. It looks mm-hmm. like it. And again, and I find that an interesting, I mean, I, I assume like that all those like white beady things and <laughs> I apologize for the crudity of my own vocabulary. You can um, say beads. Yes. Right. Well, but or they're not beads. They'd be gems, right? I <laughs> there mean, you go. So like, I'll, I'll, yeah. Uh, yeah, that those would all be different gems, right? So presumably mm-hmm. this is, you know, in order to sort of showcase the gems, um, uh, mm-hmm. And here it looks like I think the whole business, right, from the collar stuff down through the stuff that's draped across the shoulders is all part of the whole one big shebang there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's interestingly complicated. I kind of like it kind of covers all the kind of covers all the things. Mm. Now, one thing we had talked about was kind of making it asymmetrical so that the Cimmeril would kind of eventually, like, it's not made to accept a Cimmeril, but it will right. eventually hold it. And if I recall, one um, we had talked about using the shape of the Sickle of the Valar for that, because you can kind of get that curve and then the bowl... And the Cimmeril can go under the curve of the handle. Yes. So in the image on the right, Mm -hmm. there are some light blue circles thrown in there to be like, more gems. And those are meant to be in that shape. Ah, okay. Um, I gotcha. So I... Uh Aha, I see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I maybe should have picked a color that wasn't light blue. But the idea being that if it was a scattering of stones to start with, you could put a Silmaril anywhere. Mm. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it is one of the things that we would want to consider is, um, I mean, we, I mean, obviously, yeah, the dwarves are not going to originally make something with a big hole in it awaiting a Silmaril. Right. And mm-hmm. yet we do have to imagine how it could be remade with the Silmaril, you know? Yeah prominently set within it that's going to sort of affect the rest of it the thing that I like about Catherine's design is it is I like the sort of extravagance of it right (laughs) not just having what I mean is it's one thing actually that I um, it's one of the things that I never I don't have enough experience in any of the... I don't know enough about jewelry to be able to understand what makes the Nag... Like, when the Naglamir... When dwarves look at the Naglamir and they're like, dude, that is the best 
that is the mm. greatest work of the jeweler's art that's ever like what makes it the greatest work of the jeweler's art um and so the one thing that I kind of had conceptually in my head was that on the one hand, it's very beautiful because of all of the Valinorian gems, right? So like it's made of really excellent raw materials, right? You start with a whole big old pile of, of Valinorian gems. So on the one hand, but, but the dwarves aren't looking at it saying, um, wow, those gems are sweet, right? They're looking at it and saying, this is amazing craftsmanship, right? So what is, so merely like a network of settings for cool gems that are just kind of strung together seemed inadequate. Um, and again, that's what I kind of, what, that's what I like about Catherine's ideas that um, it's, um, mm. it's not only the execution of that mm -hmm. right but even like the concept like how do you take when you have a big huge pile of jewels how do you put them together in a way that's going to be really really attractive um yeah and, and striking part of what makes the Naglamir special is that it doesn't sit heavy on the wearer yeah. right yeah and her design is very balanced over the shoulders Right. So it would feel less heavy than a very um, forward heavy necklace would. Right. So right. that idea of bringing everything back to here yes. would yes. fit the description that we have. Yeah. And also the idea of the, you know, the, the, the Silmaril upon her breast, right, um, mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, you know, it, yeah. Yeah. It's not just like a pendant Silmaril or something like that, you know. Yeah, it needs to be, yeah, centered kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, no, I mean, that's, I think it is, I hadn't ever thought of something as kind of complicated as that. You know, it's mm. uh, with many different parts. Um, you know, not just kind of um, necklacy, if you see what I mean. Again, mm -hmm. not just a big old fat honking necklace, you know? Um, right. Yeah. So to, to make everything stay spaced that way mm -hmm. would require some decently good <laughs> chain work and such. Right. 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 So that right. would be demonstrating skill as well. And then the whole thing could be kind of patterned in interesting ways. And um, mm -hmm. especially if you have like the kind like that she has the ornate, um, you know, metalwork around the mm -hmm. neck as well, again, which would be mm -hmm. designed to kind of catch the gems and, and, and show them off in certain ways, which could then be amplified by the effect of the Silmaril being in the midst. And um, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, it's a it's a fascinating concept. I wouldn't have thought of something like that. Um, for the record, it does look like there's cloth under there. The mm -hmm. The gold, I think, is cloth. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a fascinating idea. But yeah, something like almost architectural, if you see what I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and not just big, fat, fancy necklace, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. Cool. I do like the... Um, the 
sickle of the Valar reference, though. I think that's a lot, that's a lot of fun. And you can design it into a more repeating pattern and just have different color gems be that design, mm -hmm. essentially, too. So that can offset it. Mm -hmm. This is a fascinating ring of Bari here. It's very... First of all, the entwining snakes in that mm. direction is a really good... So it just looks like a snake braid <laughs> right around the the edge of the ring is kind of... That's that's fun. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I believe we showed you an example last time that did not have any entwining, and you're like, there needs to be more entwining of the entwining, snakes. Entwining, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> May I show you Katrin's sample? <laughs> yeah. Um, also... The so the entwining seems a really important element in the description of the ring. The strangest part of the ring is the like upholding and devouring part. That's the part that I think that makes it so hard to envision, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to I have to say this is very low key on the devouring front, right? Um, sure, sure. Uh, but I'm not sure I dislike that. Like, I'm not sure the ring of bar here is supposed to look like, you know, you know, like this snake, right? Like, yeah, it's it's this tall, right? <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, you can't take it anywhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Try imagine putting, you know, latex gloves over that puppy. Um, but anyway, it's yeah. So um, no, I, but. You can see so on the one hand, we you can see the like the tooth. Right? I think I think maybe it's still a hair under under uh, underplayed in terms of the mm. devouring. Because mm -hmm. I don't think if you did if you, I think if you didn't know about the devouring, you wouldn't guess that wouldn't guess Buddy it, yeah. was devouring anything here. Mm -hmm. um, um, so you just yet, want you know maybe a little bit of an open mouth, a little going more towards mouth, that flower. just a touch <laughs> more mouth. Yeah. Maybe a little lower jaw action somewhere. I'm not sure, you know, but, um, uh, you know, you could actually have an almost like totally unhinged lower jaw, which almost becomes part of the frame there, you know. Right. So if, if just there were like a clearly gaping mouth, it wouldn't even have to be in touch with the flowers in order to, mm -hmm. but that would still be more devoury, right? Yeah. Okay. So... Slightly more devouring, but otherwise... Just a, a, a little heavier on the devouring, but um, um, I do like... This is my favorite... Um, uh, my favorite entwining snakes idea. Um, not least because it doesn't look like the Ouroboros. Mm. which mm. is good. Like, I don't think like, the description of the ring of bar here makes it kind of sound like the Ouroboros. Right. right Cause you've got one devour and you're like, Oh, yeah. and they're going like, <laughs> so it, I, I know I always, I always kind of pictured that. Like that's kind of the image that I had in my head was the idea of the Ouroboros. Um, but um, I, but that's not really what he's describing. Um, and so the in, doing the entwining, yeah, 
I this is my favorite version of entwining snakes and with them two and the two of them interacting with the flowers in the in this way like it's it's almost it's almost and it's a really low profile ring like literally low, low profile on your hand which does seem again I don't think it's going to be a big clunky you know honking chunk of ring on your finger um, necessarily so yeah yeah I like that I like the fact that it's a lower profile ring um, yeah um Cool, cool, um, good. So, excellent. Let's keep going because we got lots of stuff to cover. So, okay. Warning. Yes. Next slide has spiders. Oh yes, trigger warning. But there are sketches of spiders. Is there yeah. concept sketches of spiders? Okay, spider concepts. So this is for our um, time in Nen Dungorthab, right? Right, right. Um, we want. I think don't we want the predecessors of I mean we want something a little more not totally like orb orbs orbital spiders right but something closer to that right I mean we want web slinging spiders yes. not tarantula yes. looking spiders right right we vetoed yeah. the concept of a tarantula as a model yeah. of like shelop or whatever so yeah 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 exactly so I, th- I orbital spiders that's not exactly what i mean you know what i mean like the or the, the ones that the, weave yes they're the ones that weave webs there's a word so we are, for that. we've uh yeah we've yeah. Dis- discovered that weaving is not your topic weaving is not my topic i have no idea <laughs> spiders um, looms it's exactly. all a mystery that, that's right yeah yeah arachne i am not um but that's um fair. Yeah, uh, the um, yeah, but we're not talking about like spindly leg black widow spiders either necessarily. So something a little bit more, a little meatier than that. But mm-hmm. I mean, but I mean, we're 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 going to be looking for not only the peers of Sheila. I mean, Sheila has to be our model here, right? I mean, Sheila is one of these spiders, right? Yes. Um, uh, Sheila encounters Baron in that passage as well as another very large spider. Right, exactly. So so we're literally depicting Sheila here. Um, Mm -hmm. But of course, we also cannot totally forget the Hobbit spiders, the spiders of Mirkwood either. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I... Yeah, so I think um, something sort of in the middle I, of all of these, sort of closer to the bottom left, kind of. Right, I would say the bottom left is probably. Yeah. Pretty pretty accurate to what we would be seeing. Yeah, yeah. Not the totally spindly leg. Again, the one in the sort of middle top here looks sort of like Black Widowish. Right, right. right. Um, which again, I think that's too too delicate for what mm-hmm. we're looking for. Um. Uh, yeah, and definitely not f- fuzzy. Okay, good, good. Um, all right. Mm. Who on now? In general, we had been looking at who on as probably roughly Irish wolfhound. Correct. 
Right. Yes. That was the yes. kind of body model that we had for him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I'm interested in in, in Harangil's sketch here, sort of concept sketch here, is um, the the more a more kind of leonine appearance, mm. right? which is an mm-hmm. interesting kind. I mean, I hadn't been thinking about something like that, mostly just because that's sort of not the. I mean, Irish wolfhounds tend to have sort of narrower heads and not the, you know, the big kind of leonine rough sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, but there is something kind of presenting Huan as having a little bit more of that sort of bulk and majesty is kind of interesting. Like I'm, you know, it's, it's, I hadn't really thought about it in that way before. And there are definitely things that I like about it. Um, but I also think one of the things that I immediately think when I see a dog like this is that it probably can't run that fast. Like it doesn't look sleek. I think he, mm. Huan needs to be like, like clearly fast, like one of those right, dogs that can right. both run fast and run for days, right? Right, right. Um, and dogs with the kind of like broad-chested, you know, uh, kind of leonine heads and 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 tend to be a little bit sort of shorter-winded and and not especially like built for power more than speed, basically. Like um, right, like a right. Bernese Mountain Dog or something like that versus right. a Greyhound, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Or you don't even have to go all the way to Greyhound, even just well, obviously, like yeah. Hound, right? Yeah, of yeah. uh, uh, any kind. Um, yeah, um, you know, you 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 look at a Bernese Mountain Dog and you don't think this dog could run down a, you know, could run mm-hmm. with a horse, you know, for a sure, long period of sure. time. Um, yeah, but um, so. That I think again, and just thinking, not only I mean, as with en- with anything, I mean, this is one of the mm-hmm. beauties of doing a visual adaptation, right? Is thinking about the kind of nonverbal cues that you convey, right? Like, what is this? Sug- it's right. not just about realism, exactly, no. right? It's about vi- visual storytelling, cues. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that's both simultaneously what I kind of like about it like that he it it, mm-hmm. it gives him this sort of air of um of majesty and authority the mm-hmm. kinds of things that you associate you know with lions right um you know but you don't want to change his silhouette too much exactly i, I don't want yeah. it to make it look hard to believe that he's okay you know, so he can have a little bit of rough added on but something not, i think it not, could be yeah. but no bulk no bulk, exactly. Yeah, we want him to okay. be, I, I think, sleeker rather than, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, speed and power, not just, not just bulk and strength. Yeah, okay. yeah. that's what I would think. Fun. So I'm keeping moving along because we have so many slides. Okay, costume design. Yes, All right, Zirak of Nagrod. All right. Um, hmm. Love the beard. I have so. This is where Marie, like with costuming, we are so like far into your zone. Um, walk me through what you like and dislike about uh, about costuming ideas. Um, so, when Bree has designed the different dwarves um, mm-hmm. for the first age, they each get like silhouettes, right? Mm-hmm. But overall the general idea is to make dwarves very broad, right? Mm-hmm. 
Right. So right. on on both of the images that Bree provided, that it looks like the dwarf is fairly big, and then it looks like the costume is fairly big too, right? There's just right. a lot there. Right. So that bulk is helping distinguish the dwarves from the elves in right. a lot of ways just right. by being like dwarves are about sturdy durable things you're not going to worry about your outfit getting singed in a fire or whatever like right. it's going to survive that um so that's pretty good and i think harangil has used that image as a starting point for the mm -hmm. design to try to convey similar styles of clothing and um convey some of the bulk in the outfit without having an outer coat layer so it's not mm -hmm. as bulky right right uh, so this is like an indoor outfit <laughs> well yeah <laughs> which, yeah right yeah, which and... is allowing you to show off all the decorations on it um since zarek is a dwarf who travels from the mountains to visit the elven kingdoms he's got to be a bit of a salesman he's got to be putting himself forward a bit of a diplomat to interact with another culture so his clothing has to speak for him before he opens his mouth and so putting lots of different designs into it and and presumably it would be colorful if it were colored <laughs> um yeah. kind of allows him to be a louder character right while you know while he's just standing there right and he would um uh presumably have a bunch of bling right yes I mean, yeah Right, so you can see there's a fairly intricate-looking belt buckle going on, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. able to kind of have kind of these flowing sleeves and whatnot, which might not be possible for somebody who does a less fine task. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. He's not going to spend as much time over, like, an open flame. Right. right. He's not right. working in the forge. He's a jewelry maker. Yeah. So, Tel yeah. Telcar might have dressed a, a little bit less ostentatiously, I believe. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. In in that, uh, she would have to make certain that she does not set herself on fire. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would the clothing of the dwarves of Nagrod tend to be like the actual fabric mm -hmm. tend to be plainer, so as to like be the, the palette upon which the you know the jewelry is then you know yeah. displayed um, possibly but also you can work uh, aspects of the jewelry into the costume directly so you can do beadwork right. and in, in the embroidery so it's not just thread it's it's beads and so it, it, in other words it could go in absolutely the opposite direction and the right. clothing would be so far more elaborate yeah right and so all of the trim there that's on mm. the top of the tunic yeah that could be done with cloth right you can right. create that it could have yeah. um you know threads it could be metallic thread to get a little bit more yeah. to it but you can add beads to it right and intricate beadwork would be something you'd associate with a jewelry culture probably as mm -hmm. well mm-hmm so there's yeah. at least that opportunity. But I agree, if you're trying to show off your jewelry, you want that to be the centerpiece of the outfit. So a lot of solid backdrops that you then place the jewelry over would be nice as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
No, I mean, that that seems the... Um, and I, 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 going back to what you were saying before, I like the, the idea of the breadth, like that the, the clothing of the dwarves you would think would be designed almost to emphasize the breadth. Like breadth is a good mm-hmm. thing among the dwarves, right? right? right. So, like heavy shoulders uh, of you know coats and things to make you look even broader than you are. Like that's what you know. They're not. They wouldn't be trying to slim down. They would be trying right. to bulk up, right? Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Th- they're emphasizing sturdiness and solidity right. yeah. in their in their outfits. Yeah, um, yeah. the The easiest way to show off jewelry is to have it right against the skin, instead mm-hmm. of against clothing. Mm-hmm. So, if you really wanted to show things off, like rings are a lot easier to to do that with than right. um, something that's going to sit and maybe get hidden in your clothes or caught in your right. clothing. Will they do earrings, like lots of earrings and stuff? I earrings, mean, nose sure. rings, that kind of thing? I mean, I mean, again, I'm thinking if, you're, if, if, yeah, if jewelry if, is your primary art, right? You're going right. like, you're, you're to find ways to use it, right? Right. Probably. Will they and even I do don't, like, really think do like, like noses and like chains connecting nose and ear kind of deal? I mean, you, you know, okay. But you that, with beards, that, that gets with, weird, you know? So. You have to balance it with the practicality side of it so much yeah. of how they're presenting themselves is practical that the showy stuff is got to fit with that so a chain right. that can be ripped off is maybe not going to match that but sure but yeah i don't see any reason why they wouldn't have piercings and have jewelry right 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 yeah it could be it just i just thinking that would be another easy way to sort of differentiate the mm-hmm. um yeah from the belagos doors yeah yeah exactly Exactly. Who would presumably do that a great deal less, especially yeah. if they're... Yeah. yeah. Now, Bria suggested that they can have uh, also hair ornaments mm-hmm. that would right. be you know, right. showing off the jewelry as well. Right. So you could have, so, like, right. the beads stuff in and the beard. things in, in the beard. Yeah. 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 yeah that's yeah. a little weights, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes good sense. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. Gorlim and Ilanel. Um, uh, all right. So, of course, Ilanel is. Uh, how much of her do we see? So we only see her after she's dead. Yeah, I know. We, don't, we so, only get a posthumous view of a theoretical fake Ilanel, but still right. convincing enough that it. You know, tricks Gorlum, so yeah. Or deceives her husband, so um, I gotta look somewhere. She has plausible. two brief scenes, yeah. I mean, we yeah. we keep talking about her as if she's a main character in the season, but no, she has two brief scenes, and it's just yes. really sad that that uh, she's throwing Gwethel all along. Right, right. Um. Yes, yes. Um, okay. Well, I think the headshot fits. Uh, very well. Love the what you were describing. Uh, you would like yep. Island Elf to look like. Yep, loved the headshot for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the headshot yeah. gives me my cute Island Elf that I would, yeah. my cute innocent looking Island Elf that I yeah. wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I believe that these two could be uh, could be an item. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. The headshot of Gorlim makes him mm-hmm. look like he's got he's got like the you know the 
the neck of a defensive lineman, right? Which is fun. I like that. I like that. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, there's a that's collar the going AI on there. I still, I what it's they, supposed to be doing with the collar. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I know. I like it. I like it. You know. But yeah, they yeah. both look fairly young, which is part of yep. what we want to, from those exactly. characters. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He looks a little bit the um the the AI headshot looks a little bit Orlando Bloom actually. It does. It does look ever so faintly okay. Orlando Bloom. I was thinking that too. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The shape isn't quite right, but uh, no, no. But but yeah, there's something uh, about the eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the mouth. That's suggestive. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, Baragand and Belagand. All right. I, so basically, Nick, you were t- you took the sketches by Harangil and kind of fleshed them out with AI. I didn't to, do this. You I didn't do this? do this. Yeah, no, Harangil did that. Harangil yeah. did that. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Neat. No, I, I, have, I have something. I have, like, another collection I'm working on. Which is- <laughs> oh, right. They're a different collection. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I, by the way, I like the concept. I, I like the differentiation here between Baragund mm-hmm. and Melagund. It really does suggest that perhaps if I watched this show, I w- might perhaps someday not confuse Baragund and Belagund, <laughs> which I still do to this day. Um, I don't confuse the characters so much as I confuse which which vowel goes with which consonant like i keep ah. forgetting whether it's baladand and berigand which berigand <laughs> right. is a character i think there is a mm-hmm. character called berigand somewhere else um and uh well, yeah. kind of like berigand in, in the lord of the rings yeah that's yeah who i'm thinking of i think yeah 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 yep um okay uh Right, this is more Brie Melvin art here. Mm-hmm. The Elves of Nargothan. And we, we looked at some of these before, right? Just, yeah, so you've yeah. seen this picture before, um, yep. but we're now at the part of the story where they apply. So <laughs> I <laughs> right. thought I'd throw them back in because right. um, she specifically said that the design was for the Great Tales, so Baron and Turin. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we're, we're getting a lot of the... Um, uh, like sort of brown and green Ranger of Athelion esque kind of I go right. about in secrecy and and shoot from hiding kind of exactly deal going on yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah okay cool I wish I could speak more intelligently of costuming but well. The general idea is you can get into the technicalities of what things are made of, or mm-hmm. you can talk about the overall effect of seeing the outfit all put together. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure you have any interest in the former. So, like, well, I have even less information about the former than I have there, about that, the latter. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I, if if I had one note, it would be to move the quiver down to the hip where it belongs. Um, although, I guess if anybody's going to be able to draw arrows from a quiver on their back, I guess it's going to be elves. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Here but, you. yeah, but but hopefully what you're, you're seeing there is color scheme and the mm-hmm. 
overall effect of putting the layers together in this way and what makes it look elvish with the... I like I like the idea of um so obviously all three of these characters are blonde but the golden house of Fenarfin is also reflected in the um the details the the gold yeah uh, yeah detail, on the yeah. Uh, on the clothing of the the two people to the left mm -hmm. um and one thing like it strikes me as almost a little dwarvish in some ways it, like in the way that i think about uh dwarvish design which is probably heavily influenced by the peter jackson films okay. which isn't surprising because they live someplace which has been constructed by dwarves and they're probably surrounded by dwarvish architecture right, right. so I... the the shorthand there is that art deco is dwarven and art nouveau is elven because yeah. art deco has the geometric patterns yeah right. and um art nouveau is flowers and birds and pretty ladies mm -hmm. so right uh, have you seen art nouveau <laughs> like alphonse muka is all pretty ladies <laughs> right right um but yeah the 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 kind of the the more in the direction of geometric design like of the gold detailing on the on the left-hand figure nick yeah right compared to the purely leaf oriented uh, mm -hmm. Or you know, leaf direction ones of the while right the silhouette is still a very elvish silhouette. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, see, you guys can do this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Working on it. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I just I love Bree's work. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been a fan from day one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so the disguise is orcs here. All right. Um. Right. So what Harangil has done is given us the impression of what it would look like for the character to go from their original mm -hmm. appearance to the orcish appearance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, and I'm um, I'm not entirely sure what's happening in the top image, but that is supposed to show the transformation. Right, right. It seems appropriately horrifying. Yeah, I'm like horrifying. Got it. Horrifying. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't ask Hor me to explain the process there. <laughs> horrifying is uh, is is yeah what we seem to go for there. Um, <clears throat> can I just say? A visual transformation of this kind is touchy, mm. very touchy. Like how you manage, like in what ways do you take an elf's face and like what aspects do you alter in the physiology in order to make it look orcish? While is, still avoiding accusations of physiognomy? Well, of all kinds of things, right? Of physiognomy or, frankly, of racism. You know, I mean, that's um, the thing that... Right. Elves that make them ugly is fraught. Fraught. It's very fraught. It's very fraught. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think is 
most critical to that is sort of a loss of a loss of symmetry mm. uh, and a loss like it's um, my understanding of the way that Tolkien described orc faces is that first and foremost when you like they just they don't look right right they don't look they don't look they're, they're something is wrong here something is wrong here they're not like well put together they lack the kind of unity and symmetry of the faces of elves and even of 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 humans right and proportions um, as well you can play right. with proportions to make them very clearly different from human yes in fact this would be a fascinating thing to try to do with uh, uh, with video AI, actually, to sort of show. Mm. This is the kind of thing I think video AI would do a really interesting job of, actually, is mm. to try to kind of warp the face. Because it's really about the warping, right? It's not just about being given different racial characteristics that are associated with orcs in some way, right? It's about distortion. Um, yeah. And... I, I get that's it's it's extremely fraught, it's extremely fraught. But I think it's very I think it's very clear when Tolkien was talking about orc faces in this way, he was not associating them with the characteristic the facial characteristics of a particular race. He was talking about that kind of distortion. Distortion. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I made a mask of an orc for myself, mm-hmm. I started by making a mask of my own face. And then I just added putty to it in different places to try to mm-hmm. make it look different than my face. Because yeah. um, yeah. I don't particularly think I look like an arc. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, that idea of, like, where do you put the putty? <laughs> like, where, and right. where do you take it away? Like, how do right. you change this? Um, so, yeah, I, I tried to accentuate and... and exaggerate things so there's a lot more of a pointed chin and more of a a a hook on the nose Uh and and i I gave all kinds of eyebrow like lots and lots of eyebrow um right because i just took yeah hair and put it on there so it was i mean it was interesting as an art project but yeah there it's definitely like did i make all the right choices probably not (laughs) right i mean i think one of the easiest ways to do it without um without leaning towards coding orcs as yeah. a particular race yeah. would be maybe to kind of look at the facial structures of non homo sapien sapien humans mm-hmm. hominids yeah yeah um so like denisovans and neanderthals which yeah. have a very obviously different skull structure mm-hmm. um, yeah so usually you can see that in the brow ridge in the brow. yeah and in mm-hmm. the jaw Right. There's usually a very significantly different jaw. Right. Um, and with Neanderthals, you have like the occipital bun mm-hmm. structure on the back, which you wouldn't see too too much of. Right. But you could you could definitely see it if you were looking at a group of orcs. But that's yeah, a so, good example of the kind of distortions we're talking. We're talking about distorting things. It's not mm-hmm. about like it's not like Picasso esque distortion. Like we're not talking about two eyes on the one side of the head kind of no. distortion. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but but that kind of 
Orcs should have that sort of otherness, the kind of otherness that, like, there's a different skull structure sense. underneath. Yeah. Yeah. To start with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And one which I, I and I, I think that asymmetry should be involved, right? Again, yeah. that it's not just mm-hmm. different. It's not just alien. Right. It's right. wrong in some way. It, it seems um, warped. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, by shifting it a little bit in one direction or, or the like, other, it yeah, should crushing it or like and you know mm-hmm. unevenly like diagonally you know compressing well, something yeah. like that yeah 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 not well there's there's a few things i can think of right off the right off the top of my head in in one first thing orcs live a, a very very difficult life um mm-hmm. and i think that they think yeah yeah one of the one of the things we've kind of leaned into as to why orcs are the way they are is because they're also culturally wrong <laughs> Right. right. That that's right. and so they've they've lived a particularly harsh life, uh, which you know leads to scarring and injuries that don't heal properly and whatnot. Right. Um, but also, I, I don't imagine they get a lot of good infantile care. Um, right. When my son was born, and and still to today to the, a certain degree, he had a condition called uh, a torticollis. Where one side of the he he is he has too much muscle tone for a baby, um, and one side of his neck muscles were too tight, mm-hmm. and so he wouldn't he didn't really like to turn his head that way, and yep. so he would always yep. turn his head the other way, and when they're laying that way all the time, it, they get this flat spots, yeah. right? Yep. And yep. so we had to go to a doctor and you have. Yep. Various things tried. We had to put him through physical therapy and and get him a helmet. Get him a helmet. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Um, Baby helmets. Yep. Uh, yep. Which I I had always thought, you know, when I first started seeing those appear, that oh, that's a parent that's like overly concerned about their child bumping their head, and right. I could not have been more wrong. Right. <laughs> no, I, people don't realize how malleable baby yes. skeletons can be. And yeah, and yeah. I I don't imagine that uh, an orc infant would get that kind of care right uh, very right. often and that that kind of physiological uh you know warping, distortion distortion yeah yeah could yeah. often occur um yeah 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 for sure so anything that could be a i'm hesitant to use the word defect but it really distortion it, it, it is i mean the no, concept no, what, of just right yeah go, sorry, go ahead I, I mean specifically like a like anything that could be a birth defect mm-hmm. would be accentuated uh it would be like the body would lean into that rather than care and nurture leaning out of it right as as the individual right. got older mm-hmm. right and, yeah. and i i can i can imagine the orcs due to the way that that they came into existence having all kinds of genetic mutations that would lend themselves to to issues like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you my favorite part about these drawings is how often Harangil draws characters with spears in their hands because there should be more <laughs> spears in fantasy. I know. I, just, I always I always think of you with that with that Nick. It's yeah. Next long standing crusade. This the spear has killed more people than any other weapon on the planet, and that includes so nuclear weapons. So true. 
Well, and we just haven't tried hard enough with the nuclear weapons. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we have tried. Spears exactly have a head start. Hard, at exactly years. half hard as hard as we as, needed as to. Hard as I was going to say, yeah. Nick, that's not something you want to. Right. Right. Exactly. It's not a race. Um, okay, <clears throat> Gorgle the Butcher. We got to keep because I want to get through. We're at the end. We have a big thing, and I mm. want to save a little bit of time for the thing at the end. So I want to. I want to. I want to move a little quickly here. Um, we just been we've just been talking about orcs and orc bodies in particular. Gorgle the Butcher needs to be larger, right? How else would we want to distinguish Gorgle the Butcher's features compared to other orcs? Would he be more grotesque than them? And that's kind of like the Peter Jackson deformed orc general thing mm-hmm. that he kind of leaned into, right? Mm. Let's make the most warped one into the leader. Um, or do we uh, just simply make him bigger and stronger than all the rest of them? Maybe he actually has fewer of the distortions in some ways, right? Um, which has helped him become bigger and stronger. Are we saying, um, not that we're giving the full life history of Gorgol the Butcher, but are we saying that Gorgol the Butcher is one of those um, metaphysical orcs? One of those, uh, like, Maiar orcs? <clears throat> I feel like that might be too far. Yeah. We had that for, what's his face? For for uh, Bulldog, yeah. Yeah, Bulldog. Right, but yeah. Bulldog has lasted for hundreds of years and yeah. is a main yeah. character and is very different from the other orcs. Gorgol showed up for the uh, Dagger Bragalock yeah. and he's in this season and then he gets killed. So by he's a guy. really just a bigger, badder orc, basically, yeah. who's distinguished himself for his strength and ability. Right, so he's good at bullying other orcs, I guess. Right. Mm. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. And he has a mouth on him. Right. Mm. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's that's good. Um bunch of orc gear. I don't have time to talk about too much about orc gear. Um though quick question. Mm-hmm. Orc gear um, one of the things that we tend to see, especially we see this in the Peter Jackson films all the time, um, the orc gear often looks like crap, not only in the sense that it's aesthetic, aesthetically unappealing, but also that it looks like it would they would they it would be horribly ineffective a lot right. of the time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. definitely not first age right. Angband oh, right. orc yeah. gear. Sure. They've got the premier war machine going right. in Angband. Yeah. Right. And they've got characters who know how to make stuff well yeah yeah so there might be some ugliness to their design right ugliness and, and cruelty might, but not yeah right so it might be unappealing but it's gonna be pretty effectively made it's not yes. gonna look like it's falling apart also some of these items were built by like Rogarin, you know and yeah. right right and Elf other noldor yeah. and elves yeah, yeah. yeah. like who can't make something ugly if they try. Right. Yeah. Right. And they presumably so, are trying. So, yeah. yeah. So we're at peak orc yeah. culture here. This is not something cobbled together from bits and yeah. pieces of stuff that they scavenged. It's, it's not yeah. the orcs of the Misty Mountains in The Hobbit. Right. Right. No. Right. They're, they're being kitted out by yeah. an My organized own. group. Yeah. Right. That includes... Yeah. 
characters like Sauron. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, okay, um, great. That's that yeah. was the main thing I wanted to touch on with the orc gear because I think that's a really important. It's and mm-hmm. and also a really radical visual shift because people are used to the really crude looking. I mean, like dull looking weapons and and everything else mm-hmm. that the orcs usually are using in the Lord of the Rings films. Um, so that's a major departure that I think is a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, okay, we have uh, uh, these are Luthien costumes, right? I remember we. Yes, we're switching before. from orcs to Luthien. Orcs to Luthien, right? Which you know. is actually kind of a thing we do in this season. Um, uh, so I remember we were looking at some of these designs uh, yeah. previously when we were talking about Luthien. Right. So her. yeah, Katrin had put that together for our our commissioning. Um, mm-hmm podcast mm-hmm. to talk about how you would look at Luthien's costume, so I wanted to throw that in here before we look at any images. Right. Okay. Yeah. Lots of interesting and unusual kinds of possibilities. I have to admit, like, the idea of Luthien wearing pants is, like, almost shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting <laughs> as a result, like, given how shocking I find it. But yeah. yeah. Well, again, it comes with the idea of travel. Mm-hmm. and yep. conflict and things mm-hmm. that Luthien does yep. in the story. We need to make sure whatever costumes we give her don't limit her choreography for what yep. the character needs to do. Yep. There's ways of doing that, and you can work choreography around a costume, but we need to keep in mind what this character has to accomplish while yep. wearing these outfits. Well, and the other thing the other thing that occurs to me that I don't, I don't know how many times we've talked about this. I feel like I must have talked about this at some point, but I don't remember it very much. That an important consideration when thinking about a visual adaptation of Luthien is that she needs to be simultaneously um, the, you know, incredibly beautiful, but not necessarily really sexy, right? Like, right. you know, I don't think she should look. I mean, I think if you see Luthien. And you say, wow, she is smoking hot. You've done it wrong. Right? I mean, that should not be the effect that Luthien has on the audience. I agree with this. Right? <laughs> it mean, should not be the intended effect. No. I mean, you can't people. control what people think. Right? Yeah. I'm no, not suggesting but, that. It, but there are images that people have created of Luthien dances for Baron where she's wearing, like, practically, practically nothing. Practically nothing. You're right. And you're yeah. like... I see your intent here, but I don't really see no, that as Luthien. No, that's the opposite of Luthien. Yeah, it, yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, there's certainly not pre-wedding. Well, and there's a kind of innocence to Luthien yeah. that is crucial, I think, to the yes. you know the whole idea. You know, flowers springing at her feet, right? There's a kind of there's a kind of innocence to her um, that I don't even think she loses post-wedding. Um, mm. That that I just I I can't. She's not going to dress like we should never at any point be dressing her in sexually provocative clothes, mm. even under any circumstances. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and I just I that's that's I think <laughs> I can't remember if I ever actually said that. But I, I if I hadn't, you know, I just a lot of Catherine's designs were making me think like the the sort of the the layers of petticoat that she's wearing in the bottom right, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, kind of. Uh, you know, like lots of floofiness, lots of like opportunity for, you know, spinning and, 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 but, you know, we're not talking about, you know, admiring Luthien's legs while she's dancing. Right. right? right. You know, um, yeah. 
and again, like, and I would say, and I've said this many times because I still really respect this. Um, I think that w- how they handled um, Toriel in the Aria. Hobbit films was a really mm. good example where she, costume like, wise. Yeah, costume-wise. You were aware of the... Th- I mean, like, they were not concealing the fact that Evangeline Lilly is very beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But there was not... Her costuming was not sexualizing her body overtly. No. Like, you know... No, there certainly were, like, not any more than, than, than Orlando Bloom's was his. A good deal <laughs> less, less, actually. Though. A yes. good deal less. Though that's something that we talked about, too. Uh, you know, we talked yeah. about in the past. that Like, actually, yeah. Orlando Bloom was not... Like, they could have made him a lot, there's, you know. There's certainly some wasp-wastedness to yes. his no, costuming but like, on occasion. Th- but, look, yeah. they, they could have but done much more to emphasize, yeah. you yes. know. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Usually you can tell if they're trying to do that with a character yes. on film. It's usually yes. really, really obvious. Yes. <laughs> yes. In both, like, for, yes, for yes. men and women. Yes, for men and yes. women, yes. yes. If guys' shirts are coming off at every scene, and you're like, I see what you're doing right. here. <laughs> like, how how tight are his pants, right? I mean, that's like, they never really put, we didn't get the tight pants, uh, you know, effect with Legolas. It's just not mm-hmm. how it, it's not the emphasis. Um, right. Just as we didn't get lots of, like, tight tops and cleavage shots, you know, uh, with Toriel. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anyway. So, or yeah. that's that's, and I think or, I think that that's really important. Or Arwen, or Eowyn. Right, right, yeah, exactly. There's, exactly, and there's an image floating around. I forget. I, I, I'm not going to call the artist out, even if I could remember. Where you have Eowyn dressed in like a male bikini. I'm like, <laughs> oh, we're missing. The <laughs> we're point. missing something. Yeah, quite to heavily be here. Fair to that artist. That artist, if that's the image I'm thinking of, is very equal opportunity. Nobody needs any pants ever, <laughs> right. male so, or female. So they went to the Ralph Bakshi, the, the Ralph Bakshi Aragorn, of, of yes. yes. Right, but <laughs> right. all that artist yeah. people are costumed in that way for sure. armor, male or female. So yeah, right. Right. That was Speedos for everyone, but, right? That's yes, exactly. <laughs> right. You, you, you definitely sure. want to ride into battle looking like this. Yeah. <laughs> Very practical. Very practical. That one in particular irked me it, it be specifically because, like, she's in disguise. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm keeping my voice down for the people who aren't sleeping above my head right now. She's in disguise. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it maybe doesn't fit the, the scene, but. Yep. I hear that. Anyway. Okay. All right. Moving on. Here I am distracted. So having established from... Luthien needs to wear clothes. Needs to wear clothes. That's, so that's our first exotic costuming requirement is indeed, indeed the presence of clothes. Um, uh, and again, I, I like that, you know, uh, looking at the overall clothing concept here, like the way that w- with in Bree's image here um, with Huan, we're, we see like sh- very little skin, lots of fancy, mm-hmm. you know, drapery and decorations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though again, like she's also visibly curvy as well. Again, it's not like it's trying to conceal her form entirely. Um, right. But yeah. But there's layers and. Yeah. 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 Um, and I like the intricacy of it, I like the intricacy mm-hmm. of like the decorative uh, elements mm-hmm. on her. Right. 
uh, right. costuming is. Yes, and you can see that the the patterns are very like leaf and floral based. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, I, I love the very intimidating Huan looking over her shoulder there. Mm-hmm. Too. <laughs> like, Don't mess with this. What, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> right. Viewer. Now tell me. Now tell me more about the the things that you were thinking of for for everyday dresses for Luthien. Okay. So I know that Luthien is almost always put in blue costumes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the very good reason that Tolkien describes her wearing a blue dress. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. He actually tells us she was wearing a blue dress that one time. So we should definitely That's more than we often get. So there we go. Exactly. We need to put her in some blue dresses. But she's a princess of Doriath. She has a lot of dresses. So I wanted to kind of experiment with some other color schemes and, and things while making sure that every single outfit she owns is ideal for dancing in the woods. Right, right. Exactly. So, just, just thinking about the fact that Luthien is the second most high-profile woman in Menegroth mm-hmm. and is the most beautiful children, child of Iluvatar that ever lived. Every dress designer in Menegroth is going to be clamoring <laughs> to get That's her right. to wear yeah. their wear latest design. Right. Yeah. Right. She has a closet full of dresses. Um, yeah. like they she is well supplied. Give they, like, nobody, nobody would, like, she would never have to pay for clothes ever, even if that was a thing that was happening <laughs> in Menegroth. Right. Yeah. So the, the dress in the center with all the little images around it is kind of like an orangey brown mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of color scheme um so i was hoping that she could wear that in episode one when she's leading the refugees into doriath um because that is one of the scenes where flowers bloom at her feet right so the whole it's springtime and flowers are right. coming forth so the theme for that dress is snowdrops and her um sigil her, right, her the, sigil yeah, yeah 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 so i put the sigil on the dress because i figured good starting point i'm very literal right, right. <laughs> and then i put a bunch of snowdrops in the, where the seams would be to do it would be embroidery throughout and then right. maybe um, a trim border in the different colors of the the light green at, for spring and then the darker green um i gave her really sheer sleeves so that you can see her arms as she's dancing yes. around um yeah. i love I the there's... fact that you have much like in the way of arm hanging and arm drapery in almost every dress which i think is fun like whether it's the actual kind of like mm-hmm. you know scarves or sleeves you know or like mm-hmm. just like long sleeves but anyway there's there are arm effects for the you know for right i yeah, again I, like I wanted to make sure every design was all about the dancing right and so right to make sure I was doing that correctly because I'm not actually a costume designer really um, I took images of people dancing and then dressed them right? because <laughs> right. I just wanted to make sure that it fit right yeah um, and and yeah so that, that first dress um, doesn't have any kind of belt on it so mm-hmm. the fittingness is on the sides it's right. um got some lacing there mm-hmm. and oh, right, right. It, I see the and it's got a fairly full skirt so that as she dances around it'll swirl around her you yeah. can't tell from the image whether or not there are petticoats but there could be under a dress like this there could be layers underneath so that mm-hmm. yeah that the two trim layers would just be on the outer 
okay. outer skirt, and there could be stuff right. underneath, but you can't right. see in the picture. Is this what's called an A A line? Um, there'd skirt. be a much fuller skirt on this one than an A line dress. Okay. An A line dress is not a very full skirt, so okay. we're probably not going to put. I don't in know much things. A-line stuff. But, yeah. So. But but I have been present for wedding dress fittings, so I like I've <laughs> yeah. heard so, terms. So you know how the letter A looks like this. <laughs> Yes, yes. I have, in fact, seen the literature right. before. Right. Yes. So an A-line means gotcha. that the skirt comes down like that. A full uh, skirt okay. means you're going to make a full circle. So the skirt could actually flare up and form right. a full circle right. around your waist. Right. Okay. So, And so you're leaning more is, towards that kind of thing. So that Right. So that. these dresses right. should all have fairly full skirts. You so can like even an, an A-line dress is more like your standard bridesmaid dress kind of yes. deal. Yeah, 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 gotcha. Mm-hmm. gotcha. And yeah. more flat based on what you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't swoosh mm-hmm. when you when you spawn right. it. Right, yeah. You wouldn't get that effect. So yeah. you can have something be a full circle skirt, it could be a half circle, it could be more than a full circle of fabric. So you can have a lot of fabric in a skirt. Right. Right. Too much and it gets heavy. Right. So you you have to kind of balance out how it's gonna how swirly it is and how many layers you want. So how thick the fabric is also matters. So these are probably all fairly thin fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, you you don't see it weighing down much. The heaviest looking one is probably the green and white thing, right. um, which is really not a great drawing, but. Um, the idea would be it's like an overcoat on top of whatever she's wearing. I was wondering about that. A mantle. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a front and a back and there's a belt at the waist and it would allow it to move in different directions than the skirt under it. So it could be fun. But again, that one is a bare arm design to let the arm show because Tolkien emphasizes her arms. Mm -hmm. That's true. In a few places. So like when she's dancing, people are looking at where her hands are going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. which is one of the things that I liked about this, all the swooshy sleeves. That yeah, so there are some swooshy yeah. sleeves. The the yellow dress is meant to look like butterflies, so it mm-hmm. has the, the designs around it in in to look like a, a butterfly wing kind of thing. Right, right. Um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just some different variations, but just to put some more colors in her palette than just she wears a blue dress with gold flowers. Every day, right. every day, <laughs> like, yes. and that's why these are not for her iconic scene where she meets Baron yeah. or any of that. These are just everyday Doriath dresses. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. No, I conceptually, I think that these these are these are excellent uh, for her. The um, um, the most like the the. It's the conceptual element that I, you know, love so much, and the idea, mm. uh, and, and to to make sure that the choice is being made to make her look good. Are like I sometimes think about like um, you know, like Disney films where ball dresses that are being worn look like you couldn't even move in them, you know, and that kind of like sometimes I, it, it seems anyway. Yes. The, yeah. Part of the problem is that. Costumes are almost always designed for what they look like and right. very seldom designed for what the actor needs to be able to do in them. To, to move, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. So you get exceptions for like musical theater. Right. Where they know someone's going to have to be out there doing dance routines 
right. on stage and can't stop to fix their costume. Right. So those are usually built much more durable with the concept of how, yeah. what kind of movement do you have? A lot of arms don't let you raise your arm right. much. Like right. there's something too tight here to allow you to actually pick your arm up. Right. That's right. not very with armor too. Right. So that's <laughs> yes. not helpful. You need to design around that. Usually right. the way is you just put a little triangle of fabric under here and then it makes it a lot more <laughs> range of motion y. Right. But right, it's right. maybe not historically accurate. So you know sure. whatever you're trying to do. But sure. we're doing fantasy elves. We don't have to worry about hey. historical accuracy. That's right. Why not? Um, okay. All right. Yeah. I wanna I wanna I wanna move along. Moving okay. Yes. Oh so there's just it was the oh it's the morning dress. Ah, yeah. So that was a completely different um idea of instead of being motion of stillness. So she's stillness. wrapped up in this fabric. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's yeah. tight around her and there's still volume to it, but nothing about this design is about dancing. That's a really interesting effect. Like the, hmm. to be able to create because it's a, a a dress, her wearing a dress that would not swoosh at all, um, is a really great way of silently saying something. That's really I know the really exact cool. scene where this is being worn. Um, right. Well, there's two scenes that I can think of. It's in episode thirteen. Well, yes, it's, yes, it's the but one the where scene... where they're playing the game. Yes, yeah, the, yeah. precisely yeah. when the children run up to her and try to get her yeah. to dance with yeah. them, and she can't yeah. she because can't. her dress is too tight. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but the color scheme is darker, so I used yeah. it. It's not the brighter spring colors; it's it's dark. And um, the model who's wearing it is a statue from a graveyard, so I thought she was, you know, suitably glum. <laughs> suitably glum, yes. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Love that. Love that. Okay, um, scenes. We're getting there. Boy, I gotta hurry. Okay, so just I'm gonna Sorry. glance briefly on this because I get no. We just I got it. It's getting late. Um, uh, so this is the conception of Ordreth and family um, at the very beginning of episode one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really fun kind of conceptualization here um, with the views and the um, the. I like the, the like the freestanding things. We got a little freestanding writing desk and a little freestanding brazier mm-hmm. in the middle. A little. Mm-hmm. Little loom action over there papers. on the side, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, this this really helps to kind of you know sort of conceive the scene. Um, thinking I love about that what scene like, so much. What furniture would you know like? What elf furniture would look like in this kind of mm-hmm. thing is is interesting. Um, it being relatively minimalist, right? Like not like lots of big bulky furniture all over the place, right? Yeah, like, yeah know, this is a very open space concept, <laughs> right? Like you want stuff to sit down on and interact with, but you don't want it to dominate the space. You want it mm. to be open and mm-hmm. primarily about being in the open air and looking at the environment. That's the, one of the main things that, it, while still also taking the opportunity to make the things that you make fancy, right and mm-hmm. and and nice looking. Um, yeah, cool, cool. I wish I had more time to linger on these things, but I want to get to the last bits. Yeah. Um, uh, Okay, hang on. So I'm I'm trying to get this. Con- this this is Baron. The concept here is Baron standing in the darkness. So it's like the darkness and the moonlight, with mm-hmm. Luthien dancing off in the, mm-hmm. off in the distance there. Um, yeah. yeah. So after their first meeting, but before they're hanging out and having picnics together, 
yeah. he's he's in Doriath, she's in Doriath, and so this is him seeing her from afar. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that amuses me most about this concept art is that it reminds me of Tolkien's image of the trolls lying in wait. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, I think that's kind of fun. Um, I don't know what it is about it exactly. Something about the dark trees and the, the sort Mm. of the lines of the shadows kind of Mm -hmm. remind me of that image. But, um, uh, also, I think having him standing. I also am interested in the fact that he's sort of—he's not like like peeking out from behind a tree. Hiding, right? hiding. He's yeah. not hiding, hiding. He's just standing in the darkness, you know, uh, yeah. watching the light, which seems to me uh, good in a couple of ways, both in the minimizing the creepy factor and also um, uh, amplifying the. Thingol wandering into the glade, standing transfixed by what he sees, um, you know, element of that story. So, um, okay. Right, we get uh, Breeze, Baron, and Baron confronting Karkaroth thing. Um, Luthien uh, encouraging Baron to get his hand bitten off. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, here. It, yeah. Uncharitably, you could you could call this uh, picture Luthien feeding Baron's hand to Karkaroth, but but, but I, I, li- I, I like the idea of the. Yeah. It is a beautiful image. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I don't conceive of the scene in the same way that she does, but yeah, I, I I really do like the image. Yeah, yeah, me too. I also like how slight Baron is. Like mm. Baron yeah, is not beefy. The way we've described him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, and virus tapestries. Oh, yeah. With Bree, I can't the, even. This is phenomenal. Yeah, this is the uh, the um, the inspiration for that that little bit at the very end of yeah. uh, episode thirteen. Yeah, is, is exactly this. Yeah. So we're just basically kind of uh, commissioning. Uh, <laughs> Bree's <laughs> artwork here. Yeah, it's a, it's awesome. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So good. I could stare at this for so long. Me too. Yeah. I can't like this slide deserves a week's analysis or none. So I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna is you could do an entire other minds and hands. Totally could do an entire other minds and hands episode on this. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And should. Yeah. I'll, no, it's very good. Um, no, too much. There's too much, but this is this is this is just awesome. Love Bree Melvin's work. Okay, but let's do the storyboard. Okay, so Catherine did a storyboard of the scene, which um, of Luthien escaping here, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the scene that's happening while her song is going. Is it, Okay, her song. Yeah, our yeah. song starts in the scene. I think she has starts multiple songs, but yeah. she okay. does sing during the storyboard. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, Nick, give us a give us a, a, a fifteen second synopsis of what a storyboard is and what the purpose of it. Okay, so um, storyboarding is part of the pre. We'd say part of the previs process, the pre-visualization process, um, where we're taking the script and we're turning it into shots 
Um, so we can actually see and the director can make choices about what the audience is going to be seeing and kind of start getting an idea of how the shots are going to be framed um, and turning. So basically you go from ep uh, season to episode to scene to shot. And this is where mm -hmm. that starts happening. Right. Okay. All right. So that may this is... Seconds. That's okay. So where we begin here is where she is basically the kind of the drama of the scene that's being depicted is her convincing here, Lauren, to release her. Is that the sort of the primary thrust of the scene? Well, tell you what, let's look at it and then we'll see what we think the primary thrust of the scene is. Okay. So we begin with a sort of a wider angle of here, Lauren, with like her hand or like some evidence that she's up there. Right. So we're sort of seeing her in the context of the tree and then we're zooming in to her hand there. And then we we switch around to now we're inside the tree. Um, so this is a cool sort of establishing shot uh, to be able to because if we just started with her inside the tree, you wouldn't have that sense of like you're seeing the prison from the outside. Right. Um, OK. And then establishing we shots are important. Yeah. Establishing shots are important, right? And now we're circling around behind Luthien's head, right? And looking at, so we're looking at, we're getting her, we're looking out. So she, we, 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 we pivot around her. We're looking out through the branches behind her, right? So, so we're with Luthien looking out. Yeah. So look, yeah. basically we go from the establishing shot to a mid shot of her. Mm -hmm. And then we go to a close-up from behind her, and the camera circles around to the front. Right. Okay. Yep. Uh, while yep. she is also turning, because she's turning away from the from the gap in the trees. There is, is what it looks like to me. Right. Right. There's motion yes. in that in that fourth uh, fourth image there, and then we right. go back to a mid shot. <clears throat> okay. Right. Then we go back to a mid shot, and we and we go from the the sort of the motion and we can see that being also emphasized in the lighting as well when she's looking out of the tree is when we get all the moonlight shining in on her there like in the yeah. top right panel and then in the bottom center panel as she's turned away from the outside and she's turned inwards towards the prison the lighting goes down right mm -hmm. um so her face drops and 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 it's much more shadowy mm-hmm Okay, so that is kind of conveying that the that sense of in of internal of um, of imprisonment. Um, yes. What, yes. What's happening in the bottom right? I don't understand the bottom. That right looks right. like it's over her shoulder, looking down at the ground. Oh, down at the ground. <clears throat> yeah. Could lead to the next the next panels. Ah, uh, okay. So in the next panels, she's seeing somebody walk by down on the ground. It looks that way, yeah. So she's seeing, like, one of the guards down there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Presumably. So, again, reinforcing the feeling of being trapped. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So this introducing a an external threat. It's, it's a distant external threat, but there's still this sort of sense of external threat. And, and one, like, it's it's less of a threat, I think, and more of an obstacle. Right. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, not like something that's coming to get her kind no, of threat. No. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, that, yeah, that's I, as, obstacles what I meant. 
Yeah, I assume these are the guards on the ground and not her vision of Baron going off and getting imprisoned or anything. So, yeah, I, right. I assume that we're really seeing this and it's just an obstacle. Okay. And so then top right of this slide, what we're getting is her laying her hand on the grain of Hirolorn, right? Mm-hmm. So we have her... So she turns from looking down at the ground outside the tree to this... This wait, 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 hang on, hang on. I think I'm, I think I've I misinterpreted this entirely. I think, I think she is looking at the grain of Hirlorn in that, in that upper ah. right image. But I think that that's what she's looking at the whole time. She is looking at a vision. So this is a vision of, of Baron, Baron. She's seeing. Okay. Ah. So yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's why. Right. That's why we're getting the lines. Right. Of yeah. course. So. <clears throat> Right, gotcha. So she is seeing in the... So the grain of the wood of Hirolorn is like the bars of her prison, mm-hmm. visually, right? Yeah. And we still see the lines of the grain, which are, again, rep, you know, recalling prison bars as she's watching Baron becoming imprisoned, right? Mm-hmm. So we get that superimposition of her own imprisonment with Baron's imprisonment. He, well, he's he's in in our story. This is this is a change. He's still in Nargothrond in this episode. Right. So it's a like, prophetic vision. Premonition, yeah. Yeah, premonition. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but what we get here is she enters the shot. He's um, changing into an orc from frame. That's one what to I think is there. is what we're looking yes. at. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's his. Yeah, and that. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So she enters the shot and puts her hand on the surface of the wood yeah. and then turns around towards uh, and looks up over the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we get And now she's looking the... up into the sky above the tree. Right. Right. Where right. like the inside the middle of the. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we go back to mid of her. Right. And now we have her. So that's when she then begins. So the tra- her putting her hand down is both on the one hand like her esta- like firmly establishing like the contact between her and Baron, right? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. likeness between their positions or at least his future position and her current. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also the beginning of her establishing contact with Hirolorn. Mm-hmm. As well, she's also literally reaching out and touching Hirolorn, which is then what gets emphasized as she's looking up towards her own theoretical, excuse me, th- theoretical escape. Seeing yes. the stars, right through, um, through the branches of the trees, and that's going to be we're going to we're going to get that. I would think it would be relatively easy to correlate the view of the starry sky with escape from bondage visually, throughout, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the tower is thrown down and you're looking up at the stars. You come out of Angband and you are finally seeing the stars again, right? The mist. So wait, do we need stars clear. over the gate at the door of morning? Yeah, ooh, yes, I think we yeah. do. Okay. All right, we'll put stars we in the do. sky. No problem. Yep. Stars in the sky. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. So no, the, which look, will yeah. reflect. Yeah. Oh my gosh, because they'll reflect on the surface of the water. The very and then still water that will make that will make the the horizon disappear. It will make the horizon disappear. Yeah. Yep. The stars. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, And if you're vanishing, if you're going into the stars, it will look less like you're going into the 
into outer darkness, into the void. Yep. Especially if there's the shining light. So, yep. Okay. Sorry. Not to segue back to that. Um, okay. But now we have her interacting with Hero Lorne mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. right? We begin to see her actively sort of communing and then conversing with Hero Lorne. Right. Okay. Um, now we have what is uh, top left here uh, on the next slide. We have Hero Lorne reaching out to her. Mm-hmm. Hero Lorne like. reaches yeah. back out to her. Okay. Um, now we get. Uh, is this Dyron? Dyron coming to visit? I don't know what's going on in all of these. No, I think that she's still alone here. She's still alone. Um, I don't know what it is that she's looking over her shoulder at. Yeah. Is in the lower I mean, right. But every everything else, it looks like she's still by herself. In the top middle, it, we're now looking down from the star's point of view towards her, looking up at the stars? Yeah. Kind of deal? I feel like that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We're seeing her from above. <clears throat> oh, no. I think what we're looking at here is, is Heroine's point of view. Right. Because mm. in the right. very next slide, in, in the very next uh, image, Heroine is leaning over her in that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get we get the the first reaching out uh, of the little branches there of Hirolorn to touch her, and then we're sort of now seeing her from Hirolorn's perspective. I see. That's mm-hmm. good. And then, yeah. And then she requests help. Yeah. Yeah. Then she requests the, help. The okay. eighty-seven in the lower right hand image. I think that's a. It resolves into one of the guards in the on the next slide. So. Oh, right on. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thinking it looked like eighty-seven, but I see what you meant. Okay, right. So she's she's looking at she's looking out and she's seeing the guard and she's upset about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're turning around to see what is. It's basically like her looking into. It's like her looking into the face of Herolorn. And we, mm-hmm. the camera pulls around to seeing Herolorn with her in the foreground, basically. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Herolorn gives her the idea. Whether that's <coughs> intentional or not. Huh. Okay. <coughs> okay. Oh, I guess it yeah. is because she asks, hiding under a right. shadow. Yeah. Right, right. Hero so Lorne is, is Hero Lorne is taking her hair. Yeah, yeah, and the tree is overshadowing her. So ah. it, yeah. So, yeah, we, so, so this is suggesting Hero Lorne's in on it from 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 jump, right? From this point, this is from this the first. This is the beginning. Yeah. Right. This is yeah. I, yeah. Okay, okay, right. Because at this point, she's got her supplies. As soon as she gets the plan, she's ready to go. <laughs> so, right. So we have Herolorn planting the plan here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I got gotcha. you. And now we're... Okay. So we, we, we shift from diegetic to adiegetic music mm-hmm. partway through the scene here. Um, and we're getting a... We're getting a... Sp- not yet a spinning montage. We're getting a hair growing montage. A hair lengthening. Yes. First, we need to get some hair. <laughs> we need we need we need more hair. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, okay. A hair growing montage. Gotcha. That's dragging on the ground behind her. Mm-hmm. Um. Now we've got a hair 
cutting montage. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're cutting the hair. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so this is now the spinning. The spinning. Yep. The spinning montage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And the, like the woodland creature. say montage, her. though. It's really just the storyboard. It's a makes single. It look like a montage. Yeah, it's just a, well, it's I mean, it's kind of going to feel that way because we're going to be. The whole thing is going to feel a little montage Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what we're looking at is really a single montage. We're just looking at images from. Elements of it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, and then she's okay. Now, right now, we're doing that. We got the spinning. We're yep. <clears throat> the oh, this is the her. this is the repelled down the uh, the beach thread that we're doing here, right? Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe no. No, uh, she's just she, here. She's just need... using the the branch to collect the, the thread. Okay. Right, because remember, you're going to need the yeah. thread to weave the, thread. the cloak. So <laughs> this is just she spun. We're just making thread. We're just making she spun the hair into into yarn or thread. Mm-hmm. However okay. you want to look at it. And we're we're like adding just like a faint sprinkling of you know Snow White and Cinderella with the woodland creatures. She's all the things. In. She really. She's is. all the things. Yeah. Like she is, like, she is, she is. Luthien is what Snow White and Cinderella wish they were on their best to be. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we we had like um, there's a a bit in episode thirteen where she's in a she, where I I wrote her as being in a, in a crystal covered beer, and I think Marie was like, oh, that feels very Disney Snow White. I was like, ah, no, 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 it's Grimm's <laughs> fairy tale Snow White because that's part of the original story. Right. Right. Exactly, and then She's I the got one. to share with you images of yes. crystal coffins from Europe, and yep. you were horrified. I wasn't. Some, somebody, somebody else was, was horrified. Was was somebody, horrified. somebody in the comments was definitely horrified. Yeah. Yep. So. Okay. All right. So we're okay. Oh, here's our. We're gathering our. We're gathering our yarn mm-hmm. here now. I find um, the detail of the elvish ear of the guard really, really fascinating. Because that is quite different from any other Elvish year I've ever seen. That looks much more Vulcan. Mm. I was actually thinking it's more leaf-shaped than most of the ones I've seen. It is true that um, you Vulcan rarely see... Leaf-shaped. <laughs> yeah, you rarely see leaves shaped like, for instance, World of Warcraft elf ears, yeah. for instance. Um, occasionally, I mean, they exist. Plenty of, yeah. Plenty I mean, of there's exist. there's long skinny leaves. Yeah, that's <laughs> some. But uh, anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, the guard English, has a spear. And the guard has a spear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> could be it's a like willow a, leaf, you know. Could be a willow leaf. Yeah, yeah. Still. Anyway, okay. Um, so she, right. So we're look, we have the guard looking up right when her song stops. Okay. Um, and then we're seeing her with her big pile of hair yarn. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Don't look at me, guard. Everything's right. fine. Nothing weird is happening up here. Nothing weird right. is happening here. Exactly. Right. So she picks a leaf, starts humming another tune, and then when the leaf gets down to the guard, it's the 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 uh, sleepy Sleep time song. Sleepy yeah. time song. Yeah. Okay. Which means it's time for the 
weaving montage. The weaving montage. Right <laughs> now we're weaving the shadow cloak. Yes. The sleepy shadow cloak. Okay. So we get her work, and no, and I notice I'm noticing that here alone is once more being actively complicit through this entire process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of the not only the spinning but also the weaving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Okay. Providing branches for loom parts. <laughs> right. Well, yes, and I can see that from Catherine is this is drawn by someone who actually knows yes. how weaving works. Yeah. Yes. 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 Katrin has some experience with this, though. So. Right. So that's her little shuttle, right? Mm-hmm. So she's she's mm-hmm. she's she's shuttling the, right? Gotcha. We got a warp and a woof here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, there See, you go. Using words. There I go. Exactly. I know the words. I can't always reliably point to the right things, but I know <laughs> the nouns. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And she suggests that you would not want to go overboard on any of the technical details of any of this anyway, like the spinning and the weaving and all that. We're not trying to shoot a documentary of it's how not one a how-to guide. <laughs> DIY how shadow cloak. How to weave a hair <laughs> and put exactly. your friends to sleep in five exactly. easy steps. Yeah. While hanging out in a tree. Yeah. So like Escape it's... from your overbearing father with this one weird <laughs> trick. Do right. not attempt. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we're, 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 we don't want to go too far into it, but want to just provide enough details yeah. that the audience knows what's going on. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Why um, not a warp-weighted loom? I, probably space. But Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can, you can weave from top down or bottom up. You just have to pick one. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're pulling back and seeing the tree as a whole. So this is time is passing, right? So we're mm-hmm. pulling back and looking at the tree as a whole and we're looking at the position of the moon or the rising sun here. No. The moon is setting. Uh-huh. Moon must be setting. The birds it over here on the like right daytime. Side. Yeah. I yeah. would assume that's the sun rising. Yeah. But yeah. And yeah, the moon has set. Okay. All right, and now we're... You will notice that there is absolutely no <laughs> sewing a garment out of this montage. <laughs> so she touches it, removes it from the loom, and poof, it's poof. already a cloak. It's a yes. cloak. Yeah. yeah, so that is um, good. We at least eliminated one step of the process. <laughs> right. Okay, sure, yeah. Um so she's she's poofing it into uh, design. She's here. wrapping it around herself. She's wrapping it around herself. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a you know well defined cloak. It's more like a blankie. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It's a shadow blankie that you shadow, can shadow blankie. Yeah. Do what you want yeah. with at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now she's wrapping it around herself. She's left some thread to swing herself down. We've got the sleeping, we've got Luthien rappelling down. We've got the still sleeping guard who's waking up. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're having, some, oh, we're doing, we're having the guard waking up because the yeah. sun is rising and it's day. And then we're, we're, we're establishing her invisibility cloak, her shadow. Yeah, cloak. we're, we're right. doing the, the Galadrim cloak. Yep. At, at, um, at the gates of yep. the Black Gate. 
Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, she's standing right there, but nobody can see her. Nobody can see her. Right. And that's why we're in the full light of day and everything. And then we've Mm -hmm. got the changing of the guards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, And now actual dialogue, as most of her Mm -hmm. conversation with Hero Lauren is silent. And then we we see her vanishing into the Mm -hmm. vanishing into the forest there at the end. Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the powerful aspects of using storyboarding is Mm -hmm. that this wasn't a dialogue heavy scene. Right. Right. So saying Luthien's going to sing and do a little montage and she's going to talk to the tree a little bit. And yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, what's that look like on screen? What would you actually show? And so the storyboard helps to break down how you tell that story visually. Yeah. And Um, I love action scenes are good for that, but also a singing montage. Yeah. I love the, um, uh, again, I, you know, Nick, how you were emphasizing how in a storyboard you can begin to see the kinds of decisions, like kind of like directorial decisions, right, being made. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, th- I think you can, you can really see a lot of that here, a lot mm-hmm. of things that, you know, certainly are, were not automatically evoked by the description yes. of the scene when we talked about it. But I really love the, you know, some of the things that she's doing there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, especially in the early part, the the stars and the juxtaposition of the two imprisonments and the, um, yeah, no, there's there's a lot that I really like there, the way that she's emphasizing and introducing the magical qualities of the shadow cloak and what the point of all this weaving was, um, the way that Hero Lauren is being actively complicit, complicit without dialogue right anyway i i thought that was good mm-hmm. very cool well thank you Catherine. that was that was really really wonderful i know this kind of storyboard is a lot of work there are yeah. how many panels here a lot of panels right um uh so uh yeah yeah and again that covers a four to five minute scene on right. screen depending on how long the song is and how long you linger on each shot but you don't linger very long Yes. On anything. So you just keep moving through the scene. You keep mm-hmm. shifting the camera. So, yeah. 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 It's a lot of work for for one scene. Yep. Right. Right. It was yeah. just, what, like four minutes or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. In, in that neighborhood. And the, the shots in modern film and television are not very long. They're mm-hmm. usually not much longer than like five seconds. Right. Um, you, you you like it's usually typically a very big deal if you have a long shot, um, and so that makes doing images of even each individual shot right very very time consuming, and yes. uh, especially if you're trying to uh, to create the effect of dynamic camera moves, which. Uh, Catherine is doing in this um in this it, it, 1917 is it kind of kind of solidifies my point the whole thing is done in one shot mm-hmm. um but that's kind of what makes it a big deal like that's right. kind of the whole point right right, right. but anyway um yeah to to your <clears throat> excuse me to your point the this, this was undoubtedly a tremendous amount of work, even yeah. for such a, 
a, a small piece of what we've been doing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. No, that's really great. I love, uh, I love seeing this stuff and really just kind of making it come alive. It's phenomenal. Well, it's getting late, so we should, uh, uh, we should move ahead. Our next episode will be the final episode of season six. And we're going to go on Thursday, the 27th of July. So we're going to skip a couple weeks here. Um, and then we'll do our final one. We'll be showcasing music composed for season six, not a hundred percent of the music because there is a lot of music in season six. Um, this is, um, in so many other seasons, we've just had like uh, some themes that we were interested in, you know, do this. And this, um, there are a whole big and very prominent and important songs being done uh, in this uh, in this season in, with lyrics and such. Um, musical numbers. In fact. Yes, whole musical numbers. And so that's really... <laughs> that's just the one we just storyboarded. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, this is a, really an entirely new level of challenge for um, our erstwhile composer uh, uh, and his team. So looking forward to um, talking with Philip about this stuff in a few weeks. Um, and uh, we'll see you guys again on Thursday, the 27th. Thank you, Nick and Marie, as usual. And uh, we will see everybody soon. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>